This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. You and I generate or manipulate data every 10 minutes. That's at least 96 times a day. And the movie, spreadsheet, TikTok, telemed, whatever that we interact with lives in somebody's data center. That makes data centers the most important part of your world that you never knew existed. Which is why I invited my good friend Adam Knobloch to come help us understand more of this hidden world. So join us for a great conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. How we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Five, four, three. Did I, was that close? That was great. Close enough? Okay. And I did the nod. You did? <laughs> Uh, Adam, welcome to the QTS experience. Thank you. This is the best day of my life. <laughs> well, then we need to enhance your life, but we're going to have fun <laughs> today. That's for sure. Uh, welcome to the show. How long have we, when did we meet? Like 2017, 2018? I don't remember. It was around the time when I joined business pretty early on because yeah. I wasn't doing Atlanta stuff before that. And I launched it right when, uh, Atlanta was, Atlanta was ready to pop. Okay. It was seven. I try to remember if it was 17 or 18. Yeah. But, uh, I did my first event in Atlanta around then. I don't remember if I, I don't think my first event was in Atlanta. It might have been, but I think my first one, well, my first one I attended, I think it might have been Atlanta, but I think the first time we met and worked together, um, it was either Northern Virginia or it was Seattle. I don't remember. The, the, the most memorable early one for me <clears throat> was with Melvin. Oh, Melvin Greer. Greer. Yeah, so that was definitely 2017, first event, first DICE event for me <clears throat> that I attended because okay. the first event was Seattle the year I joined. I helped out to fill it out, okay. brought on a couple of speakers that we needed right. or wanted, um, but I didn't fly out there to host it. That was my my buddy Tom Woodcock over in Seattle. Okay. Somehow I ended up on a panel. It was supposed to be like four people. And I don't know who we bamboozled or tricked into it, but it was just me and Melvin on this panel. He is a genius. One of the reasons why I think he's a genius, he said at an Atlanta event, um, so it was the Q&A section. And he is... Um, You're right. It was Seattle. It was Seattle 2018. <clears throat> yeah. We had the moderator, which was uh, Colocation Northwest. Might have been, yeah. And ISO Fusion. It's going to be a hybrid. Yeah. That CTO was right. the moderator. Yeah. sponsor. And it was going to be Melvin and a like a, another, you know, a Google or somebody from out there was going to be on this show or on this panel. Somehow I ended up on the panel. I don't remember how, uh, but I'm forever grateful because he and I became friends. And I was like, what am I going to talk to? This is, was he chief scientist or something like that at Intel? and um, Chief data scientist. Data scientist, AI guru and expert. Yeah. And, we had these other very brilliant, brilliant, the guy's <laughs> he really is. One of my favorite things that he said once was somebody said, you know, are you optimistic? Do you think the machines are going to take over? And he said, the most powerful tool on earth is the human brain in every way. It can look like this technology, this technology is spectacularly powerful, but it truly is like it. And there's, and he went into a little bit uh, of elaboration there. So I dig that. But anyway, we I ended up on a panel with him. And my goal there, because he's very, you know, it's 
he's serious. He, he's good humored, but he's kind of serious and mm-hmm. whatever. My goal was, how do I make this man laugh yeah, diffuse. for 35 minutes while, um, while still bring value on whatever our conversation was? And um, I had a lot of fun with that. And uh, he said, man, I had a lot of fun. We need to do this again. And then we never have because our past just haven't crossed. But it was uh, pretty cool. But anyway, that was my first, I think, experience with... Um, Biz now, and I think I met you up there, and mm-hmm. I certainly met him. That was really cool. Seems like a hundred years ago. Yeah, I mean that was the beginning of my time at Biz now. I've done a done a lot of stuff since then. We've had yeah. a lot of fun since then. And honestly, if you want to do that again, yeah, we can make that happen. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> totally. I I love being up on uh, on stage with really really smart people, and I also try to ask things that maybe aren't like the sort of the standard prepped questions. You know, can we think about it a little bit differently? I don't know, but he's one of the really cool people. So why don't you, before we dive into my list of questions, what is BizNow and how did you, or BizNow specifically in the data center sector or however you want to describe it, and how did you come to be part of it and operate this division? So BizNow in the data center sector mm-hmm. is, is, it's interesting because all the other events out there, if we're going from an event perspective, mm-hmm. is very operations, infrastructure, Focus facilities mm-hmm. kind of thing. BizNow is, is historically a commercial real estate company. Mm. Data centers would be, you know, considered an al- alternative asset class. Right. You know, has, has gained steam throughout the years, and obviously the pandemic has spurred it even further. Mm-hmm. So it's more respected and, and known about. People actually know what they are now, mm-hmm. even if they're not in the space. Mm-hmm. So we have a blend of the commercial real estate side. You've got your brokers. You have your construction design build. You have facilities operations, certainly, mm-hmm. which will come into play with ops and cooling and all that kind of stuff, data center management, DSIM, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also have the commercial real estate side developers talking big picture about where the trends are. Mm-hmm. What's the pacing on leasing? What's the pulse of this market? Where is enterprise demand coming from? Where is the demand? Is it hyperscale? Um, what have you? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of platform QTS. Mm-hmm. I remember when you guys announced that you were going all hyperscale. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, clients. <laughs> so I was like, you know, uh, big changes there because you guys were yeah. looking forward and were like, you know, this is, this is where the business is going. Right. And this is, this is the, the biggest opportunity to grow. Right. You guys have done a great job with that. Uh, as well as many others have right. around the country and internationally. Yeah. So yeah. So BizNow is and the Dice series is truly a blend of what's already out there, but then also commercial real estate. So we're I feel like we're one of the only differentiators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some other conferences that are very like, niche, like a construction only company, right? Or event platform. But uh, I feel like you know seven by twenty four DCW, um, seven by twenty four DCW DCAC to a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, data cloud, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I feel like I'm missing one. Uh, DCD. Mm-hmm. Those are. I feel like those all have a very similar population. So mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of different from that. Also, our format is different. Right. All the others are very national in scope. Get a big number. Right. We have a, a sweet spot of let's say like 200 to 400 plus. Right. Northern Virginia being an outlier, getting right. four or 600 right. uh, annually there. Right. What I love. Well, there are a few things I love about your conferences. First of all. Um, and this conversation is not going to be primarily about conferences, sure. but I think you're the first person. In fact, I'm certain you're the first person that hosts events or do things like this and probably the last, but certainly the first that I would invite onto this show. Why I love your shows, as I've said so many times, is because of you. I love how 
hard you work. You're making me blush. Well, it's true. How you hustle to get really interesting people to these conversations. And it's this cool blend for me. I want, it's almost like, forgive me because I know there's so much turmoil, but it's almost like our Congress. What the heck are you talking about? You need, when it works healthy and it's not wildly partisan, I need people from around, in this case, an industry, but from around the country, of varying perspectives, of varying constituencies, um, of varying ages to come together to try to put ideas forward. We call them legislature and the Congress, but ideas forward to help us move forward. Like, what have we been doing that we shouldn't be doing anymore? What aren't we doing that we should be doing? Um, and and how do we manage through that? How do we hold each other accountable? Like, whatever. And And then you've got the Senate in a perfect world, the way it's supposed to work is you've got these elder statesmen. I don't want somebody who's new on the job, new running a data center to be making policy for, you know, super important things in the same way that I don't want someone who's been in Congress for an hour doing international trade agreements. I want someone who's been around a while seeing all the shenanigans that we nation states try to do to negotiate um, advantage for their people. No problem. I mean, that's what everybody should be trying to do. And so in your events, you get not just operators, but operators that are newer, operators that have been there for a while, operators that are smaller, operators that are larger. And so it brings a perspective and a tension, a healthy tension, I feel like, on, look, this is what works works in this world, but it may not work for somebody that's trying to do a big campus-sized thing or for people that are, that are single-purpose data centers may not work for somebody who's got multi-tenant. So you get, I as an audience member get to hear all of these different the edge and the IoT doesn't really have a consequence to this group of people, but it has a tremendous consequence to that group of people. And so you have this wide range, not just of topics, but of subject matter experts or new to the conversation that really enrich um, enrich the value for me. So I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I've never done this all alone. It's always, it's always a team effort. I mean, granted, when I started with BizNow, it was doing – a lot of it on my own, all sales, right. pretty much, and all production. However, as it's grown, and I've I now have like by far the best team I've ever had in my in my entire career. Right. Um, it's it's definitely a team effort, and I I'd never thought that I was like a great producer personally. Right. I just happen to know a lot of people, and I call in a lot of favors. Right. And then people are nice enough to to fly or, or come out and 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 hang out and do some fun stuff, and right. and then you know I'll try to get them drunk at a cocktail party <laughs> or something <laughs> as a thank you, um, and meet some people. You know, right. always val- valuable people in there. Right. Um, but one one actually uh, to your point, getting varied perspectives. Uh-huh. One really interesting thing that I love to do. You know, LinkedIn is the number one place to stalk people, mm. and I I'm a, I love I love LinkedIn. I'm right. on there all the time. Right. And when you find a really great speaker. I'll look at what their, that person's background is. So, for example, um, I, I believe I'm, I'm going to be accurate here. Mm. So, Ryan, for instance, Ryan Mallory, COO of Flexential, mm. his background, or he speaks to, like, the construction side. Right. So putting a COO of a company like that that's in a leadership C-suite position right. on, like, a construction-focused panel right. or an event that's construction-focused. Right. Is, is very interesting to me because he also has a leadership perspective, right. but then he can also get nitty-gritty on the build. Right. So you have these like varied uh, varied conversations because there's there's more in there. What I like about somebody like him, uh, and you, so for example, a panel the other day that I was at, you had um, CEO from DC Blocks. Mm-hmm. You had um, 
who is uh, Chris? Um, Chris Downey. And he's with who? Flex Angel. No, no, no. I'm, oh, yeah, with Flex Angel. That's mm -hmm. right. Um, the man, the legend. The man, the legend. And so they're in similar markets, not the exact same many times, but similar. But they're, um, they bring not just a wealth of experience at their companies now and different companies, but I love what they say. Look, here's what we want to do. But you also got to pay for it. Like, how do we pay? Like, these are great ideas, you know, You, but how do you pay for it? How do you fund it? Or what's the cost of not doing something? Mm -hmm. What's the consequence to, um, one of the things that Jeff said uh, the other day that I loved, I absolutely loved it, because I'm not usually surprised. I'm in the business. I, I attend a number of events. I watch a number of events. I It's similar conversations, and they're relevant because you get new people coming in and there are times we need to affirm things. You know, when I go to a church, they're not usually telling me a whole bunch of different things or synagogue or mosque or whatever. You're mm -hmm. hearing similar things and how do I apply it? But I heard something that Jeff pleasantly surprised me with uh, the other day, which was when a landing cable, sea cable lands, you can expect, and here's where he got his perspective from, for it to generate this much of demand behind it. Mm -hmm. We've seen this in these markets. I'm sure that's been said before probably in my presence, but it, my mind was open to receive that. Then I started making notes. Wow, that's really cool. I need to invest some of that. I'd like to talk either to him or other ideas on my podcast about that. Like, And so what can we extrapolate from that? So you get these, these perspectives, not just in the day-to-day -day how to operate or how to manage or how to fund, but these cool little nuggets as they go through their discovery, huh? For for even somebody like me who's been around for a while, um, so long as you have a mind open, you know, to listen to your frenemies, mm -hmm. um, it was a really cool experience. And I find that pretty common at your events. Yeah, well, you know, not to give away any secret sauce here. Please I don't. don't. I, I don't think it's like groundbreaking, but you know, the content that we we come up with is both done from research, yeah, interviews, you know, just research on the in the industry from different publications, ours ours as well. Right. I think we're writing some really great editorial. Shout out to Dan Rab. Right. Um, but uh, it also comes from the industry. Mm. So I don't think that we should be arrogant enough to say, hey, we're we're a media company. We're doing really great research. Right. You're going to say this. You're going right. to talk about exactly this. It's like you tell me what to talk about. Right. You know, you're the one living it every day. You're you're the boots on the ground. You did. You make me smile because there's been a panel or two I've been on, and you're very <laughs> gracious to let me attend. I love it. <laughs> But I crack up sometimes when I see you in the front row looking at me with that look like, okay, don't go too far. And then when I start to like go and you just start rubbing your temples like, oh, God, here no, we I go. love it. You're, 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 honestly, I remember. So you've done, you've, we, we didn't keep doing Seattle because that market just didn't grow and we could, right. we could find more revenue elsewhere. Right. It was a bummer because I love going out there right. and again, seeing my buddy Tom right. uh, who lives out there. Um, but with that said, there was this, uh, I can't remember what I get, actually can't remember what event was, but you were we had these high boy chairs, and uh, you yeah. basically started your self intro by saying like Good God, right? I know what you're all thinking. Is this chair going to break? Right. What's and the I, over and under and I, on? I was just like, I'm like dude, like, like how did they get please? that circus bear up on that thing? You always gonna you always gonna laugh. Like it's <laughs> it's really fun to work with you because you know you're knowledgeable, mm. you're a good you're a good person. Most of the time, <laughs> most, of the time. <laughs> and uh, but you, you get laughs and, and you bring a light to, to the conversation. Yeah, um, my I think my favorite event overall event I got to moderate. I don't normally moderate, probably for good for, for good reason, but it was at um, we were in New York at, uh, Nabil 
Mahmoud was on there with me. That's where I met him. An absolute delight. He's one of my favorite people. Absolute delight. Him and Phil. Um, He's like a cat. Yeah. Nabil is. And that the two of them are matched together. They're in a podcast I think we're releasing here in a week or two. They, they're with Nomad Futurist. Yeah. They've been on the show a few yeah, times. Yeah, Nomad Futurist, a wonderful charity as well. Um, Super proud of them. I yeah, love, great love foundation. Support. Really cool Absolutely. people. So we're releasing that here in a week or so. Um, <clears throat> they've been on two or three times. But um, I met him at was it the state bar, New York State Bar? Oh, uh, okay, the like bar that? association. Yeah, yeah, where you're like, you know, you're up yeah. there in the wood, like old, yeah. rich mahogany. Yes, you know, uh, kind of platform there. They, I'm glad they fixed their audio because it used to be horrible. Yeah, because the room's so wide. I so um, wanted to bust into my Al Pacino son of a woman. No, yeah, you know. Uh, you can't. What, I, I'm you're mixing. Out of order? The, you're no, you're out of order. Uh, or, uh, no, 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 a few good men. A few good men. No, but I'm men. thinking of Al Pacino, okay. where he does the speech in Son of a Woman for. Uh, um, you can't handle the truth. Yeah, that, something that like that. Uh, whatever it was, he was. Kevin uh, yeah, uh, Tom you know, uh, that was Tom Cruise. But anyway, it was okay. a really cool venue. Um, but people really come and they get engaged. and They're really paying attention to what's going on. So let me ask you this: Why? How did? Why the data center industry? Like when you're. Kid in New York, I believe, growing up, you're like, hmm, I want to go do stuff like this in an industry like that. Why did you, why was this interesting to you? Uh, all right. So like many, I fell into it mm. for sure. Um, I want, I was very interested in festivals and concerts growing up. Okay. Still am. I see a concert almost every week or two. Okay. Um, What's your first concert ever? My first concert. That you paid for it, not somebody drugged you to, but you, it was your purposeful, I'm going to go see. Well, I was young, so I didn't pay okay. for it. Okay. Because I didn't have money. Right. Um, but it was supposed to be Smashing Pumpkins. Okay. And it was going to be a great concert. I think it was 96. Okay. And this was, I was super psyched. Right. One of my favorite grunge bands ever. Right. Um, and back then, that was when the drummer went to rehab and the keyboard has passed away. Oh, wow. It was pretty heavy. Right. Um, and then about two weeks later, they rescheduled the, con the concert. Right. And um, they, the drummer came back out of rehab, so right. he was ready to go. They got a, a session keyboardist to, to finish out the tour. Right. And they rescheduled the con for, concert for a Wednesday. Right. And that's a school night. Oh. And I'm like, what, I'm like 13? Right. Or something like, something like that. Or right. 16, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and Yeah. I was not allowed to go, and I, I still regret that to this day. I do not blame my mom for right. that. You know, it's you know, right she's, rules. She's amazing, but but yeah. So I didn't. I never, and I I didn't see them until a, a couple of years ago. And so they, what was the next great. one after that? that the you... next, the actual first concert I went to was The Offspring on the Pretty Fly for a White Guy tour, <laughs> and it was a Roseland Ballroom, and you better believe they had that guy dancing like a jackass on stage. It was it was amazing. Great. You concert. know, he's a neuroscientist. The lead singer. He's a straight-up PhD. I've heard he's a brilliant guy, uh, which is really funny because, I mean, if you listen to, you know, Smashes by arguably, in my right. opinion, their best album. Right. So Self-Esteem. Right. It It's, he's. I mean, it's so cool. It's just, you see talent, whether it's your style of music or not, you see talent like that. And so the way I understand the story, I, we can be fact-checked, I'm sure we'll be fact-checked, but he was going to school. They have this gig. It blows up, becomes this huge thing. And in between breaks and downtime, he finishes out, if I remember correctly, his degrees, goes on and gets his PhD. Oh That's awesome. And just like, well, because, you know, I can. You know, I got this money here and I've got, you know, all the things that rock and roll bring to you. But I'm not going to be fulfilled until I can 
and to get your PhD, and it's like from UCLA, like it's not like it's legit. You, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, Ted's house of nuclear and peptide. You know, I believe theorems. it's pronounced nuclear. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, but it's um, you know, it it's legit. I just. People like that, I'm getting sick and tired of these overachievers. You know what I mean? Just like, chill out, bro. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so uh, mine was Bow Wow Wow. That was my very first. Uh, it was Bow Wow Wow. It was probably uh, 82, so a little bit before you. It was at Six Flags, and it was remarkable. 16-year-old Annabella um, with her mohawk nice. up there. She had stole her band came from Adam and the Ants. So she had stole some of the band members from Adam and the Ants. It was good times. We all had our bands out in force, screaming and yelling and good times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I remember that show. I was negative four. <laughs> four. <laughs> so how'd you end up? So how'd you fall into it? Just a uh, friend of a friend or just uh, no, no, predicted yeah. industry trends? No, no, not at all. So, so yeah, that's a, you know, I, I went to school at AU in America and in D.C. Mm -hmm. Ambitiously wanted to graduate and start a career. Awesome. I graduated a year early because I really wanted to do all that. Right. And I didn't even I, I didn't study abroad because of that, which was just the worst mistake I could yeah. I ever made, like one right. of the worst mistakes I've ever made in my life. But right. with that said, I aggressively graduated early in 2008 okay. with a marketing and PR degree. Okay. So I was fresh and primed and ready to right. be a file clerk right. <laughs> so I could pay my rent in my first apartment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, did that. Um, didn't fall into the space until much later, let's say 2010. Mm. So 2010, um, I had moved back to New York. And I be right before that, I was at a company doing SEO uh, back-end stuff. So What's not SEO? search engine optimization. Oh. It's, it's exciting stuff. Right, right, right. And and I was non-client facing. I was basically like writing meta tags and doing linkage from websites to other websites. Right. It's the it's one of the in my opinion, it was this right. the one of the worst professions you could be in. Right. Uh, for me at least. Right. You know, I'm sure people really, right. really love right. it. All the SEOs listening to this right now, like, hey. Yeah, you don't know anything. Right. And to be fair, I was I think I was terrible at it. Right. Yeah, I was really bad. Um, well, but it, your attitude, you know, I, there's so many things where <clears throat> at one stage in your life, you you go to do something, you're like, oh, this is the worst ever, and you're not good at it. And later, I, for me, I was a terrible student, um, terrible student in high school. They hadn't invented ADD yet, so they didn't know what the deal was. And, oh, yeah, they did invent that. Yeah, that later they, got, they invented it. So they didn't know, you know, it was just be quiet and whatever, and that, I was not that person. And plus... You know, I cope with the world. My my method of getting along because we move so much or whatever was just to to try to adapt by being funny or whatever, which does not do great in a classroom. So no. later I went in my 40s to go get my degree because I didn't want my story to be, I got a GED, mm. I joined an airborne unit, and then that's it. So I went and got a degree, which didn't help me in my career. But what was amazing was, because it was well established by then, yeah. how much I loved learning. I, you know, I never thought I would do well in calculus, much less get an A or whatever. And just all of it, history, reading or not reading, uh, writing, creative writing, um, math, you know, and uh, statistics. I'm one of the only people who enjoyed statistics. Uh, I enjoyed uh, accounting. Like I knew I wouldn't be an accountant, but I thought it was really cool to go through it. But at 16 years old, 18 years old, get me the hell out of this classroom. So probably a lot like that, you know, depending upon where you are in your life. 
I had a lot of report cards where it said, oh, he's a, he shows a lot of effort. He's doing pretty well. Uh-huh. He won't shut up. <laughs> like, and my dad was a teacher at my high school, so oh they, he pretty much knows all my teachers personally. <laughs> um, so that was fun. I didn't really get into too much stuff with trouble right. in high school, though. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, flash forward to graduating and, uh, and then trying to start a career. Right. You go out to all these, like, festival companies or, like, venues and concerts and – and they're like, oh, that's great. We definitely want your help. And then uh, you just graduated, so that's cool. Right. Uh, how about you volunteer for our festival? I'm like, I need money. Right. <laughs> like, can, 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 I have some, can I have some money? Right. I can do a job. So that industry is extremely hard to break into mm. without knowing someone. I right. didn't know anyone. Right. So, so in 2010, when I got back to New York after realizing, you know, I don't just suck at this job. I just – I hated it, and maybe that's why I sucked too because right. I really just did not like it. I got – and this is 2010. My, I still had friends who were having trouble getting jobs right. in the in the market. Right. And within one month of moving back, I got two job offers. One of them was working at LexisNexis, where I would get a pay bump, mm-hmm. more money, mm-hmm. uh, doing SEO stuff, but more on the linkage side. Mm-hmm. And probably, uh, I think, geared more towards law firms specifically, with, mm-hmm. which was kind of a niche of theirs. And then the other one was working at this company called Green Pearl Events, which was a commercial real estate event company, uh, solely events. And... It was a it was a pay cut a little bit mm. a little bit less money. I was like, all right, well, what do I do, what do I do here? I, I already know I don't like this stuff. Mm-hmm. Do I jump into another job, make a little more money, and then probably quit my job in whatever years mm-hmm. because I don't, I know I already don't like right. this stuff? Stealing your soul. Or do oh yeah years. Right. Um, or do I do I try this new career in a space that's similar, the live event space? Right. Uh, to what I what I was interested in, and I, I love the human experience. So that's right. one of the reasons I love events so much because right. it's like here and now, and it's special, you know. Right. And and I personally don't even like public speaking. Right. I do it a lot. Right. But uh, you know, you get up there and you do your thing, and I try to talk as little as possible on 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 stage, and I just like hand it off to the people who actually everyone came to hear. Right. Not me. Right. But uh, but yes, yeah, so that's how I fell into it, and then you know that was te- that was twelve years ago. Right. Doing events. Right. So how how'd you get connected to data centers? Data centers, after about a year and a half, um, I won't go into like, you know, how Green Pearl was ran, but I was right. told that like, hey, this is probably not a great landscape for you. Right. Um, a lot of people were getting hired and fired over the year and a half that I was there. Right. And this is still in 2010, right. 2011, 2012, early 2012, when, you know, it's not a climate where you should be hiring and firing. Right. You know, it's, it's statistically proven, right. one of your favorite topics. Right. That it's ten times more expensive to hire new than retain. Right. So, so it, that didn't make conceptual sense to me anyway. But right. my manager, who I was friendly with, uh, basically recommended like, you know, you should you should definitely look at other things um, and a better better environment. Right. And then I accidentally connected with someone uh, on LinkedIn. Right. And uh, we started talking, and then I ended up joining that company. Right. And that company had just started. It was like oh, not even a year old. Right. I believe, and then they, he had done one data center event, right? And it seemed to it seemed to go well, so that the, that ended up being the cash cow for that company for a while, right? So we did a lot of those. Um, I found that I really liked the people I worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the environment there for me wasn't great either, right. but um, I remember that group. We don't need to mention them, but I remember that group, and it, yeah, you know. But but that's how you broke into the space. Yeah, completely fell into it. Right. I didn't know what a data center was back in 2012 right. uh, when I started it. But then I immediately liked the community. Right. I preferred that over like the general commercial real estate community. I felt like there were more nuances there. It's interesting. 
Um, I, I still find, you know, healthcare and uh, other alternative assets fascinating because there are other nuances. It's, right. it's like commercial real estate plus plus. Right. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's cool stuff. But then enter, you know, technology. And now it's like, we're coming up with stuff, or we're not weird, but right. the industry is coming up with stuff every day that's going to change the world right. using coding and different and t- different kind of uh, technologies, which right. is really fascinating. Oh, you talk about healthcare or data center? Data centers, right. but also you talk about healthcare, talk about yeah. industrial, yeah. AI, automation, right. robotics, all that stuff is now integrated into industrial as well. Right. And then it's also, you know, uh, in ho- in healthcare, you know, you have surgeries that are, have robots that are like doing the surgeries for you and microscopic stuff. And yeah. yeah, it's phenomenal to me. It is just, I tend to be a um, technology optimist. I'm not naive, um, but I, I I I'm optimistic. Um, I do think though that you know you you've if you got you always have to have sheepdogs because there's wolves in the world and whether that's misapplying technology or um, exploiting something or whatever, a lot of conversations that you have at your events are around security, whether that's cybersecurity or physical security or whatever. If One of the things I've said many times is I think um, the ideas of the whole world live in a data center. Coca-Cola, the formula for Coca-Cola it's probably not written, just written down on a piece of paper in a safe. It's in a data center. Their data center, my data center, Amazon's data center, somebody's data center, probably in multiple, probably encrypted, mm-hmm. but it's bits and bytes in a data center somewhere. And if that's true, every song you listen to, every video archive, whatever, some form of it, um, if it's published, lives in a data center somewhere, in the cloud somewhere or whatever. If that's true... To me, that makes data centers the most valuable assets on earth. The thing that enables the robotic surgery, the thing that um, enables children in a pandemic. Um, we got to listen to, you pulled, I think, a coup. Uh, the other day, you got Katie uh, Comer. Is that mm-hmm. uh, Katie's name? That was not, I, I did not get her. Well, let's talk about her in a second. Rima, but, Rima Rada. Okay, Rima. Our, our producer, she is so we're, I'm going to come back She's and talk about that in a second, yeah, yeah. but because that's a really interesting thing I'm interested in. But Katie leads um, economic community development for mm-hmm. Meta, and again, I'm like, I'm I'm not a pessimist. I'm sometimes skeptical that I'm going to hear something new or interesting. That woman blew me away. Loved everything she had to say. I really no disrespect to anybody else on the panel, but she, what they're practically doing and how they're doing it and how she's involved, whatever else you may or may not feel about meta or any of the other things, that aside, here's how we come alongside communities in a very real way and make a difference. And I love that story. I love to see when a company does that. But what I also dig is that our industry is helping to facilitate human flourishing in this, in these cases that she was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, Anyway, we'll come back and talk about Katie and that that idea in a minute. So now you're over. You were at this organization that introduced you to data center, the the data center industry, and then how did you end up with uh, BizNow? So I I, I kind of co-ran that company as the other guy. Right. You know, it was basically a two-person company, and right. we had an, a, a telesales person who basically worked on tickets. Right. For about five years, and you know the environment was whatever it was, but you know. I, I thought that there was like something better out there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really enjoying myself there and for a little while. Mm-hmm. So I I quit that job and then I took about six months off mm-hmm. and um, 
did a lot of traveling. It was cleared my head mm-hmm. for sure. I think I needed a break. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and I went on LinkedIn. I, I just typed in open to new opportunities. Mm. And when I quit, it was, it was, I was afraid to quit for a long time because I was like, oh man, like, is anyone going to want to work with me after I leave here? You know, mm-hmm. like, who am I? And I was really happy to find out that like a bunch of people immediately ran out because it's a small space. Right. There weren't a lot of event companies right. out there. Right. Um, or companies that do events. Right. So I got a lot of outreach and immediate job offers. And one of them that was very interesting to me was from BizNow. Because mm-hmm. BizNow is a company that I've been looking at and saw what they were doing. I saw that they weren't doing a lot in this space. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I, I would love to build something there. Mm-hmm. When they came to me, they actually, you know, the outside recruited me and this mm-hmm. person knew nothing about like mm-hmm. who I was or what my background is. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't a company that looks similar or, mm-hmm. or that does some similar stuff. Mm-hmm. And I talked to the guy, I'm like, dude, just like let me just let me talk to them. Like this is not gonna right. this is not productive with my time. Right. Um, so like it's so easy to say that I, I, in, in the most polite way, I'm right. like, I'm, no, so, no, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm an asshole. <laughs> like, like, it's like, can, can we just, let me just talk right. to them. They know right. who I am, I'm sure, right. which is blah, blah, right. blah, blah. So I chatted out with them, had an initial interview and they wanted me to run their New York office. Right. And that would be covering all sales across that market because right. business now is a very regionalized company. Right. Uh, uh, with a global platform and reach, but thinking very hyper local, right. which is a cool niche. And, and with that, they're like, oh, we want you to run the, our New York office mm-hmm. sales. And that would include everything from multifamily, office, mixed use, retail, healthcare. Life sciences was smushed into healthcare back then. It wasn't a big thing yet or as big a thing in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Industrial, et cetera, all the asset classes, mm-hmm. the gamut. Not really data centers because they weren't focusing on that mm-hmm. at that time v- that much. And uh, so, they, you know, they wanted to propose that as a job. And I said, I have no interest in that. I don't want to be part of, you know, multifamily and, you know, luxury condos and, and stuff like that and, and the office space. It's all great. We all need that stuff. Everyone mm-hmm. needs a place to live. Mm-hmm. We all, you know, kind of need a place to work mm-hmm. even after the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, to bring bring people together and mm-hmm. all, the, all these other verticals. Mm-hmm. We need them. They're all part of the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things in commercial real estate and they make a big impact. Mm-hmm. But I had no interest in that. Mm-hmm. So I told them or I mentioned like, you know, you know, Two guys were doing a, a decent job at, at this vertical. How about I bring that globally? You know, how about I how about I just just work on that kind of thing mm-hmm. and focus on that because I have a passion for that sector. I find mm-hmm. it fascinating, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think I could truly build. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of how that position. Mm-hmm. It was a proof of concept, mm-hmm. and they've never really brought in anyone like me again. But mm-hmm. they also haven't fired me. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. I guess it worked out, but yeah. but but not as well as it could have. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have an asset class specialist for everything. Right. You know? So uh, I'm a unique person at BizNow. Yeah. Uh, focusing on stuff, that stuff. But, you know, I help my clients get involved in multifamily and the other asset classes and, right. and stuff too. Yeah. Uh, when they're interested in it. Do they, do they see the value in or the potential in not just the events that you do, but just this industry? Like the, And the reason why I say that is I just look at us and our peers' growth in the last... 36 months, it's unbelievable how, you know, the, the world's appetite to consume data in, a, in every way. And if, and if a bitter bite is moving, at some point it's living in a data center. And um, so anyway, we, you know, uh, we were private equity, we went public in a big uh, event uh, a little over a year, uh, almost a year and a half ago, we went back private. 
and we've just explored. And, and I don't say this to toot our own horn. I'm saying like a number of organizations have done this and we're just growing and growing and growing. Sometimes almost, I don't want to say too fast, but it's, you know, it strains the seams and we're going to talk about some of the industry's opportunities and challenges here in a second. But it's, um, uh, when I, when we introduce people who aren't familiar with not just what a data center is, but just sort of this industry, once they sort of catch a vision of everything, everything legal that's digitized is going to end up a in some way connected. It's almost like electricity. In some way, it's connecting to a data center or telecom. In some way, it's going to connect to these things. Otherwise, you don't have an industry. If you're not, if you're not moving data and interacting um, and that data lives somewhere, nobody keeps it in their closet anymore in their little telephone room down mm-hmm. the hall, it's just not efficient. It's not safe. It's, you know, it's not actionable. Um, their eyes, you know, just open wide, like, wow, that's a great gig to be in. Um, anyway, so has your does your organization see that, or are they still? We'll see how it develops. No, I mean, um, I think that that well, we've certainly grown exponentially in this space. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first year I joined in seventeen, we went from two to four events that were biannual in some key markets to eight events because I, you know, we everyone on paper knows where the event uh, locations would be mm-hmm. because those are the tier one markets, mm-hmm. you know, the NFL cities or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we have a great writer who's writing news and we're getting a lot of views and read readership mm-hmm. for that on the publication side. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they definitely see the value of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope they see some value in me. Right. I'm st- again, I'm still here, but... We do. You know, who knows for how long. Yeah. Um, but with that said, uh, I mean, short answer is yes. But like, you know, to your point, everything is connected. Right. You know, the technology is exponential and the and data creation is exponential in right. terms of growth. Right. But then in turn, so is this industry. Right. And it's wild. I mean, look at November last year. For or November to the end of the year ish or somewhere around mm-hmm. there. Dates are not not that specific, but four ten plus billion dollar acquisitions <laughs> in one month. And one of them I really just no, I don't think anyone saw it coming. That was the American Tower Core site right. thing. I was like, what the Right. Where did that one come from? Because yeah. I, I knew about, you know, QTS getting talked about happening. Right. right. I knew about, uh, well, the switch thing eventually right. happened with Digital Bridge. Right. And then there was CoreSide, the right. other one, uh, uh, Cyrus One. Right. And then the Cyrus One acquisition with KKR. Right. All these things. I mean, that's in, in two months, 40, probably 40. Right. And if you evaluate from dollars then till now, of how much all of us have grown from then till now. I'm not going to say a specific number. I don't know one. I could hypothesize a guess, but it's significant. It's not like those acquisitions happen and then we've sort of languished. We're exploding in growth. Mm-hmm. It's uh, isn't that phenomenal? <laughs> it's no, it's, it's amazing. I thought you meant growth in terms of you know growth, and and I I really I don't gain weight, so right. I, I I don't know. Yeah, okay. But, but, Shot, but, uh, shots fired. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I'm feeling you. It's always got to come back to that, doesn't it? <laughs> Make fun of the I dude rem- with the moobs. I, I remember you like you brought up ice cream on the panel once. I'm like, yeah. what the f- are you doing? <laughs> you know, funny. just trying to keep it real. Man, if we're always talking about bits and bites and that's all we talk about, what I noticed, uh, like the other day when I was talking, when I walked up there, before I walked up uh, to our panel, and I hope this doesn't sound egotistical, but I did notice, and I do it too a little bit, I'm catching up on my email. I'm, I'm, I'm listening for the exception 
but I'm catching up on my stuff. And there's usually a person or a thing I want to hear, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm pretty sure I know what they're going to say most of the time. And then most of the time I'm right. Not always, like we talked mm-hmm. about Jeff earlier. Yeah. But I know what they're going to say. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but, and you know, because you've been to a million of these things. So I feel like when I go up there, if I'm going to invest my time for 45 minutes, one, I want it to be valuable for whoever's listening to. If And and if I can't bring them something new, I certainly want to be to some degree entertaining. Um, I If I can prevent them or um, some majority of them from looking down and looking up um, and to interact a little bit, uh, those are sort of the things that run through my mind, depending upon who the audience is. If I'm there to do a keynote, then I just do my keynote or whatever. But um, it's also fun for me to um to have a blast so long as i don't feel like i'm wasting their time like i don't want to waste their time but it is a lot of fun but most of the time you know i'm sure you see this you look out and depending upon who the speaker is a third to half of the audience is head down or they're you know something because they're just trying to do work while they're there well there's an there's an interesting thing here i mean yeah people do check on emails i'm sure and then all all that kind of stuff but what i've i've heard when especially Early on at BizNow, I, I have my own coordinator. Again, the best team I've ever had in my mm-hmm. career right now. I have my own coordinator that flies around with me, Audrey Sullivan. She's right. unbelievable. Yeah. Just got promoted. Right. Um, now, does she work for you? Does she work for BizNow and is assigned to you? She works with me. Okay, works with you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. and honestly, I could not do it without her for sure. Right. Um, she she Venue sourcing, back-end coordination, on-site coordination, all that good stuff. So right. with that... Um, uh, totally lost my train of thought. Well, um, we were talking about um, heads up, oh, yeah, heads down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Heads, heads up, heads down. Yeah. So um, in terms of people, you know, uh, you know, looking down and maybe doing some work. Right. When I would go around the country and fly to these different locations before I had someone like Audrey mm-hmm. flying with me at, at every event and being my coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would be working with the coordinators in each market, mm. and these people were used to the general commercial real estate events. Right. And what I've heard, what I heard every single time is like, "Wow, this, these events are really different." And I'm like, "How? Like, why?" It's like, "Oh, like the, everyone's listening. Right. And people really listen to the content. Yeah. And and they're engaged. Right. It seems you know it seems like uh, they're even more focused on the content. Yeah. Uh, so if there's like a a sixty or 70, 30, 60, 40, 70, 30 split of of I'm here for networking versus here for content in right. some of the other asset classes, perhaps. Right. Is all speculation. Yeah. Uh, in mine, maybe it's closer to 50 50. Yeah. Uh, in terms of content and, and networking, because networking is certainly like a huge part of it, meeting these people and getting out there. Right. Um, and, and people take notes. Right. People are taking notes of what people are I was stage. taking notes. Yeah. I had people taking pictures of my notes. Yeah. Because I dig it. These are, I don't, for me, I don't get exposed to what this leader or operator is thinking the other day we had a conversation going on with a site operator so they're a leader but they're not a senior executive and uh, it reminds me sometimes um, you know people have experiences in any industry with the salesperson Mm -hmm. and they um, and, and they bring value obviously but a higher level of trust usually comes from the engineer that works with them. If the engineer says, this is how the electricity works, you know, the salesperson will say, and I'm not trying to denigrate salespeople, I love them, but they generally are less technically accurate. And they're like, they're wildly optimistic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Alpha Centauri, yeah, we got it. Probably be there next Tuesday. Like, we got this. 
Whereas the rocket scientist is like, well, you know, yes, we're going to get there. Here's what we got to do. And here's how we've got to balance things or whatever. And so one of the things that's really cool was um, I also perk up when I get sort of that mid-tier operator person Mm -hmm. or legal person or economics person that says, yes, you've heard some of the optimistic views. Here's sort of the day-to-day grind that we're working on Mm -hmm. and how it operates. That's a great thing. I want to write that down. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Actually, there was a dynamic during the pandemic when I became a game show host for a short while. (laughs) Did you really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, I was... uh, Hello from near and far. Or right. no, good morning, good evening, right. good afternoon, and good evening from near and far. And welcome to this week's data center deep dive right. session. You know, I don't know how many <laughs> times I said that. Right. But uh, but with that said, we found you know what in a live event atmosphere when you get those big heavy hitters, the C suites, the CEO, COO, C whatever, mm-hmm. uh, in the room to get them speaking, it'll drive a lot of attention and right. clout. Right. And people, you know, it'll spur like registrations and, and people will like, you know, it's easier to confirm people because you have this big player or this like right. legendary person up there. Uh, and during the during the pandemic, uh, I did some of these state of the market uh, type of webinars, which would be like an open, a classic opening panel to kick off the day at an, right. a live event. Right. And I would get, you know, I'd, I'd hit up all the C-suites at these random uh, or various colos and other companies right. uh, or investment companies, whatever. Right. And I thought that the, the registrations would surge so be so far beyond everything else right. but it it didn't they were on par with me getting the head of construction or director or vp of construction or the the vp vp uh, or director of operations or what what have you those right. those are two of our bread and butter topics right. of any colo and we'd still get unbelievable attendance and in my it was this was an assumption mm. because in a in a virtual space when you can't just go up and like corner someone and, and meet them and, and try to engage with them in person. Mm-hmm. They're like, maybe they're thinking in reality, if I want a shot at working with this company that I want to work with or build a relationship, I'm going to have much more luck, one, with the mid-level person who is a decision maker, mm-hmm. who's the boots on the ground, because mm-hmm. they're going to speak my language. Right. This C-suite person or person at the very, very top may be the one signing off saying yeah, but they have delegated this the decision-making process to their to their people, right? So it, that was very eye-opening, right. and there is so much value in the manager to VP level being part of the conversation too, right? Which is great because then you can sometimes get some younger people in there as well, right? Um, which is uh, which is challenging because I feel like in events people can be fickle. They want the best of the, everyone wants to see the best of the best, right. and sometimes the best of the best isn't just the top, right? Sometimes it's the boots on the ground who are living it every day, right? And really putting their all into the job. Right. And then getting the sign off because they did a great job. Right. You know, we find that I have found that that intermediate layer is more transparent. Like they're, if you're a, generally speaking, speaking in uh, generality, those CEOs that you have in there, or or senior C-suite people or an EVP, they're practice politicians, whatever else they are. I'm going to try to shape a narrative a particular way. I don't blame them. I would too. I try to as well. I want to derive a particular direction. I find in the middle, as they're on this journey, you ask me a question, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to, I'm going to give you an answer, not to the question, but to whatever I answer. Reposition. Right. Reposition it or whatever, which is an art and it's genius. And that's what they do. It's also political, I'm sure. Sure. There are, God, look, you got shareholders. I am, that's, this is not a criticism. Mm -hmm. What I love about that intermediate site director is, oh, you asked me a question. 
I'm going to give you a direct answer way more often than not, which is not to say that they're not intellectually capable or whatever. They wouldn't be in a trusted position. They just tend to be more transparent. Here's what we do. Sometimes you get an answer that says, yeah, it's really hard, or we failed at that, and we're learning on how to get that better. And it's not like some, they're jockeying for empathy or, or uh, sympathy or some other thing. They're just being transparent. And you get some really great information. It's easier for me anyway. It feels more believable. I connect more with that, um, which isn't to say the senior execs aren't valuable. They are from a big strategic vision um, big picture kind of thing, but in the but in the weeds, mm -hmm. I love those intermediate gals and guys because they just they drop great nuggets. So yeah, no, I completely agree. And also, it's 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 by design uh, in reference to the questions that you ask them. Yeah, if you you know if you put a C suite person on a on a different conversation, perhaps they we would get those conversations, but through a different lens, like that right. like that you know Ryan Mallory right uh, scenario I mentioned. You right. know, like we're we're constructing kind of he speaks to that and is involved in that. So, right. uh, you know, versus talking to him about what's the pulse of this overall market, where is, where is uh, the most demand come from and how has this changed and how has it evolved right. in this particular market? And then where is it going? You know, right. those are very high-level, big-picture conversation or just uh, conversation pieces or questions. Right. right. So, yeah. So you start most shows with state of the market or, or, or towards the beginning anyway if it's not the start. How, I guess my first question is, um, why? And two, um, if you're in our industry, the most activity in terms of market is the Northern Virginia market. There are a wide variety of reasons, not the least of which is 70% uh, of all data on earth. I was reading a recent report travels through Northern Virginia infrastructure. It's either landing there or it's going through there. So maybe Northern Virginia aside, one, why do you start with the state of the market? And two, um, what are the markets that are really, as you know, just from your observation, really dynamic? You go to a number of them. When you show up, what are the markets that are really um, exceeding expectations or maybe they're in a rethink mode or whatever? So two questions. Handle any order you want. Sure. I mean, to, to tackle the first one, uh, in terms of, you know, formula, like, you know, people only have so much so much attention span. Right. And when, you're build, when I'm building an agenda, I've done it in many different ways. And, and over the past, you know, 10, 12 years of doing events, you find that if you're going to keep people there for the whole day, you need to have really strong anchors. These C-suites do provide a great amount of value. Mm. They bring people in the room, and they also have a lot of amazing insight based on the questions that we do ask them mm -hmm. and that they weigh in on. And people love hearing about the big picture, like, what does today mean? What does tomorrow mean? Where are we going? How is it going to impact me where I sit? Mm -hmm. So opening the day up, people are going to be excited hearing about that stuff from the, the cream of the crop, mm -hmm. you know, the, the top level. Mm -hmm. And yesterday's uh, session was great. We had four CEOs from four prominent colos mm -hmm. uh, that are somewhat different, you know, mm -hmm. look flexential and and uh, DC blocks. So we call them like edge players or tier mm -hmm. two, two mm -hmm. market players, mm -hmm. uh, Digital Fortress and, mm -hmm. and Dark Points, uh, mm -hmm. very edge players. Mm -hmm. So you had different types of platforms. So mm -hmm. you have like a varied, it's not all the same. We didn't have four wholesale developers right. on there talking about different or the same stuff. So right. it was very there. So kick off the day with some heavy hitting, impressive people 
mm-hmm. usually gets the room going. Um, I'm, I'm more of a proponent in this panel discussions versus standalone keynotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I feel like the dynamic of a conversation is going to be more fascinating than someone getting up there and giving a presentation. Although those are valuable too. Yeah. And, and there are reasons to do those and right. time and place as well. Right. So kick off the day with that kind of stuff. Um, that was the first question. Right. Uh, if then the second question is, uh, where to go or a different well, markets? Markets, you know, you've so now you have a certain number of targets that you bring your um, surprising new markets. What's growing? What's yeah, next? like like um, you know, three years ago or well, yeah, of the markets that are out there. When as you've been listening to state of the markets, what's what are the markets that are surprising you or continue to? Um, perform or maybe they're in a pause or reflect mode or just you know what is the state of the market if the market's the u.s and not these individual areas yeah so so each market i'll give a couple of examples yeah. 2017 that was atlanta's big blow up year uh, eight you know 17 18 right it was it was killing it and that's when i launched the event it right. was initially launched as a morning event two panels which is limiting on content Mm. Uh, I find that, you know, this community really likes content. So the mm-hmm. bigger events, like they like a little bit more content, maybe mm-hmm. four panels for a half day, mm-hmm. six to eight or something for a full day, which is a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Of course, networking woven in uh, throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it did quite well. And I was like, look, how much more money do I have to put on this event to make it a full day? Mm-hmm. They gave me a number. We got it right around that number, mm-hmm. made it a full day, and it turned out to be successful. And we're still doing it as pretty much a full day with lunch, right? Uh, and then a cocktail party. Like right. Yesterday also had a cocktail party. Right. Then fast forward to like you know 2018. That's when Phoenix started blowing up, and that was an exciting year. Mm-hmm. You had, I believe, it was 2018, where you had Compass investing there, Vantage investing there in land banking in Goodyear. You had uh, you had Stream Data Centers investing there. Mm-hmm. Microsoft announced a huge project mm-hmm. there. Google was expanding there. Mm. So all these forces coming in there mm-hmm. uh, really drove that to, to be a growing market. Mm-hmm. It has its own fundamental issues with, you know, being a, a, a drought state right. and and then, you know, water usage and all. It has right. all these different things right now. Right. But it's still, there's a lot of build there. Uh, you know, edge it court, doesn't edge have earthquakes. You guys, you guys. <laughs> We're there in a really, really big yeah, way. Yeah, you guys are there. Because we want to be near... L.A. Mm-hmm. and all these yeah. other markets, but we don't want to be in Vegas. Right. It's a good DR market right. for comparatively to California. I mean, right. and I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of quote John Chaputis, who's like one of the one of the people I've loved working with over the years more than anyone else, mm. you know, from uh, well, the Fortune data centers back in the day to right. the, the acquisition with Infomart. And then now he's with GI and everything, right. doing, doing awesome stuff over there. Um, and he would get on a you know a state of the market panel. And he's mm-hmm. someone who really he gives you real talk. Right. I think as a C-suite person, which is really refreshing. Right. And and with that, he would say in terms of California, you look at California on paper, and the government doesn't incentivize build. It's got extremely high energy costs. Mm. It's prone to natural disasters. Water usage is is an issue. Mm-hmm. Everything on paper. There are other things. This is the worst. F- place to develop any any data center or critical infrastructure you can right. imagine. Why is this a top six market? And it's solely because of the tech companies out there and the demand. Right. And they do it. And then it's just really much more expensive to do it out there. Right. But it needs to be there. The right. market needs to be there because of what's right there. Right. Oh, God. Okay. You can give us some oh, no. I just make notes so I don't forget. All right. All Keep right. going. Okay. So... But that's right. Yeah. So so there's that. But you know, so a lot of exciting markets that you know, right. Atlanta, and then you know, Microsoft has announced their Southeast hub in outside Atlanta. That was exciting. So the initial thought here was that we are going to have 
you know, the head of economic development from Google, Microsoft, and Meta. Right. And Rima just did a, a bang-up job on that. And, and explain who Rima is. Rima Rauta is our producer for the DICE series, Data right. Center Investment Conference and Expo. That's what DICE stands for. Right. I, I now just go by DICE Guy. Right. It's, it's much more, it rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Right. You know? And, uh, and she's just, she's unbelievable. She's a phenomenal producer. Yeah. And I'm like, super, I'm so lucky to be working with her. Right. Because I finally feel really comfortable offsetting that part of the business to someone like I can I can trust 100% right. and have her do it and she is much better than I ever was or will be I think right. in terms of that type of you know production right um, I'm pretty good at sales right I'm, I'm okay right always always trying to get better right um, and always can't get better right but with that said uh, she's phenomenal put together that panel and we we did have the head of economic development from Google and right. the e head of economic development from Meta, right. Katie Comer, who was right. just phenomenal. She's right. an absolute rock star. Yeah. And uh, Google had a last minute schedule change, right. and when the hyperscalers say, "I got to change," they got to change. It's it's it's, it's not it is, personal. It's, it's just, just not personal. Yeah. It's it's just like it is yeah. what it is. And right. I've done this for long enough to know that it just is what it is. Right. So we were able to still uh, collaborate with with Katie, and, right. and I, I'm so thankful for her right. that she was down to do that because she did provide so much value. She you know? did. You know what was really cool also was she wanted to be there. I didn't feel like I was being sold. What I heard, one of my favorite people to listen to is Simon Sinek. Like I really relate to how he presents things. It really, and a lot of other people do. He's very popular. Katie, in a way for me was like, look, uh, Simon always says, start with why. She starts with, why are we doing this, right? <clears throat> here's how we're doing it, and here's what we're doing. And here's real world, how a really big company, we love to pick on really big companies. It doesn't matter who it is. It reminds me of that great prophet Bono from U2. He was once mm -hmm. doing an interview, and he said, uh, this was back in, I want to say it was the 90s, maybe early 2000s. He said, you know, we love America when we come through America, because and we love Americans. Because in America, you see that really cool house or that really cool thing. And in America, they say, man, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to bust my butt. And I'm going to I'm gonna someday be just like that person. I'm going to achieve the American dream. And in Ireland, we drive by and we see that and we say, I wonder what that mother fraggle rock stole, burned, or exploited to get that. Someday I'm going to come and burn that down. <laughs> he goes, I love your, you know, this perspective of... How can we pursue opportunity and whatever? And so it's easy, it's human nature to look at big organizations, sometimes deservedly so, um, and say, man, they're not doing some things great. But Katie came up there and was like, man, I really dig what I'm doing. And here's practically how the things that I'm responsible for are doing things in Temple, Texas. Here's how we're doing it over here in Georgia. Here's how we're doing it over here in these other communities where when this community, we go to a school board and the, the pandemic's hit and they're like, look, we need gear. In some cases, they don't need gear. This is the other thing. I loved what she said. They're like, look, gear alone is good. Okay, so you bring all these boxes, set them up. Nobody here knows how to use them or the value of it. And she walked through. Here's For us, it was setting the people and building relationships on uh, how can we help train? How mm -hmm. can we how can we give of our time? The only thing that can't be replaced on earth is time. Health is probably close second, but time. 
Um, and they invested their time. And her group, this is not a, I'm not trying to be a propagandist for Meta or Facebook or whatever, but I dig that when a leader like that shows up and says, here's how we're doing it in real time to help other human beings flourish. And that was a really cool thing that I might not have been exposed to without hearing it. So I love that it, that I get to go for a very affordable uh, amount of time and um, economic output for me to sit and listen and spend time and hear nuggets like that. Yeah, well, honestly, uh, it came through to me that she was she's just super passionate about what she does and she loves what she does. Right, I believe, and and also you know uh, attacking the the issue of the workforce crisis because it's a dwindling workforce where most of this industry is aging out. Right, um, and and that's a big problem. So you know we talk about this in every single event in some way a couple of different times. Right. And I've you know I've done a couple of webinars on this stuff too. Had like a star-studded panel there. Melvin Greer was on that one too. Right. Um, and, and, you know, Lee Kirby, I absolutely love Lee Kirby, uh, with salute mission critical. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes, also yeah, used to be, yeah, yeah. Used to be the president yeah, of, yeah. of, uh, president or CEO, president, I think of, uh, Uptime Institute. Yeah. And, uh, he's doing things with veterans, which I think is right. wonderful getting them back into the industry because right. that, uh, I'm going to quote Liam Neeson, that certain, this certain set of skills, right. You know, um, I don't know why I did this. It's not, you know. It's perfect though. Um, but, uh, you know, they have like very similar skills to mission critical, the industry itself right. at large. So, and uh, there are other groups doing that too. Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, DCAC organizers, Kirk right. O'Fallon. Yeah. And uh, another outstanding human being. Oh, yeah. He's, he's great. DCAC yeah. is a great event. I've yeah. been there for the past two years, but I've yeah. been co marketing that for the past, what, yeah. a handful of years. Great, uh, fun time out there. Um, you know, the, you know he's, he's, he's heavily involved in that too. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, workforce development, I feel like you can't pointedly put, conversations on an agenda, right. at least at my events, just about workforce development. People right. have heard it over and over and over again. Right. And a lot of the people in in the room aren't going to be able to directly impact it. A lot of them are decision makers who are hiring their own teams and can do it. Right. But it's not like, you know, the HR teams who are at my events, you know, so integrating these conversations and to your point, the why. Right. You know, why are we, why, are, why is this so important in construction development? Why is this things so important in operations and cooling infrastructure and and uh, site selection strategy and and uh, data center management, like all these different kind of things. Mm -hmm. Workforce is the backbone of all of that. Sure, mm -hmm. you can automate uh, a lot of things mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to help you be more efficient. I think automation, I think AI, all these next gen tech mm -hmm. kind of things are going to not displace people, but repl not replace people, but uh, it's gonna move enhance. them. It's right. going to enhance what they do, and right. it's going to shift what their job is to right. a new type of job. I'm not just hitting a hammer here or whatever, or like pushing these keys. Right. We're going to be pushing a million keys at once, right. and then I'm going to monitor that in a very specific way to make sure that this is all efficient and correct, and I'm going to be the quality assurance person there doing 10 to 100 to 1,000 times what I could do in one hour. Right. To be more efficient, right? You know, I think that, and, and we need that because the growth of this industry is so exponential. We need help, right? And no, I don't think any workforce uh, influx of, of workforce um, can can support that. We need technology to help us be more efficient, right? Uh, but with that said, you know, it's it's I, I liked how how she kind of tackled that, and and those conversations are important to have, right? But I, I think that at least in the space that I'm at. You need to talk about them in a specific way by being, having them be a part of these other conversations. Right. You all care about this stuff. Well, this is a big part of that, so we're going to talk about that a little bit too. Right. Because these leaders 
in this conversation that you want to hear from are thinking about that every day. Right. And that's, you know, uh, I think Melvin Greer said on the, on the webinar or in a session that, uh, you know, one of the biggest fears at the top level is the workforce. Mm -hmm. You know, like we know we're growing. We know everything is, is expanding and growing. Right. How are we going to, how are we going to keep up? Right. We need more people. We need talent. Right. And you know, the trades get a bad or historically have gotten a bad rap where, Oh, not, you're not going to a normal college and whatever. Right. Um, but, but, there needs to be a re-education of the trades are so important and valuable and you can make a great living by doing them. Right. You know? And then you'll save a hell of a lot of money from college because I think that, you know, the college systems are very backwards as well. Right. Well, there, I love, without going down that rabbit hole, we'll have to have you on and we can talk about that again. But it, you know, it's, there is so much, there is great value in college in that, or, you know, university. You probably don't want to be wheeled into an operating room and they do say, look, got my medical degree from Google. I'm feeling good about this. Like I've got some YouTube videos here. I have searched Google (laughs) so much. Every question that you could even ask me, I've I've looked it up. Right. I've got the app. I've got ask G's here on my phone. Like we're good. Right. Jeeves. I haven't. Well, I made a joke the other day. What was funny. Somebody said, uh, well, you know what? I'm not going to do that because it's a corporate podcast. I'll get myself in trouble. But yes, we were, we were, uh, we were teasing about ask G's, but this is where our, I was going with that is, um, you know, there are a number of conversations like that, whether it's sustainability is in, is a, is a usually a part of whenever we're talking about energy or we're talking about efficiency, we're, we're, th- these are things that also work in. Sometimes they're very specific pointed conversations, but kind of like the workforce, they're, they're part of most conversations to one degree or the other. One of the things that's interesting with the workforce, just kind of hone in on that for a second is five years ago for an organization like me, if somebody found out we were building a data center and wherever our, we'd have a line of vendors at the door. Please let me do work for you. Please let me do work for you. Please let me do work for you. Um, and it was almost like being an oil well worker. You might live in Lincoln, Nebraska, but you're willing to commute three weeks out of the month to uh, Northern Virginia or to Atlanta or wherever. They're not doing that anymore. They're very rare. They want to do that. They're like, I got so much work here in Lincoln. So that's one part of it. I've got work uh, for this professional trade that I'm in. Two, um, if I could make, I'm just going to pick random numbers. If I could make $145,000, $150,000 a year doing that job in uh, D.C., but I could make one hundred and seven, but I'm here I'm at my kid's ball game. Mm-hmm. I'm fishing with my buddies. I'm chasing my newlywed, my new bride around the house. Like, I, the quality of life. I was going to say, the quality of life in is particularly, a big In particular, post-pandemic, I would rather downsize and have less crap that at some time is going to end up in a landfill anyway. Whether it's now, that Maserati, at some time, whatever it is, it's not going to last a thousand years. It's not going into King Tut's tomb. So why am I, you know, chasing this other stuff? There's been a big reset, not just in the number of people that are doing it, but just what we're willing to tolerate it's or an not ideology. tolerate. That's right. People value their own life a little bit more because they almost lost it. Right. It, it certainly was a wake-up call, right? What's important? Where am I going? Do I really need to live in a community like that with the benefit that it brings, but also the consequence that it brings? Or can I live in Tulsa? And have a 
a decent quality, whatever. So mm-hmm. these are the things that we're all trying to navigate through. It's a supply chain uh, conversation as well. And it is, um, I think it's important that um, we create then communities that woo people to them. Why would you want to um, come and work for an organization like ours? And how then do we make an organization that um, maybe we shift our our purpose? For example, if a company per- claims their purpose is about profit, a very 1980s thing, you're not going to keep very many people. In the same way that our purpose is not about eating food or drinking water or whatever, our purpose is something else. We do that to sustain ourselves so we can live out our purpose in theory. Um, you can tell I don't push away very quickly from very many Chinese buffets, but that's our, right, shouldn't be our purpose. I love food. <laughs> I have like 10 dumplings and some bok choy and Chinese broccoli almost every night. Yeah, well, it is, Maybe and that great, brings you, right, a great source of joy or whatever. But when companies make profit their purpose, they get maniacal and the, it just incites, incense bad behavior. And it's when, when you have an unlimited workforce, what do you care but when you need, you don't have an unlimited workforce, and they need to be a sophisticated, and they're being wooed by the world. And I've shifted my priorities, saying, you know, in the past, maybe I would hold my nose and just put up with these hours or this boorish behavior. I'm not doing that anymore. Not mm-hmm. only that, I want to see a diversity in the workplace. I want to see people that um, don't just look like me. Maybe not. I'm hoping that more and more leaders think that way, but certainly the regular workforce feels like that. Like I, I'm a more complete team and a more complete human being when I have diversity of gender, diversity of color, a diversity of educational background. We hosted um, one time Mike Sutcliffe, who's now retired, but he was the uh, CEO of Accenture Digital, mm-hmm. a friend of mine. And he said, man, I can't even tell you how many times we've hired these Ivy League kids that are genius, truly genius. And we put them in work streams with state kids who are really, really smart and capable. But we run into these sometimes, not every time, but these interesting phenomenon. People like Accenture, or I would say QTS or Deloitte, we get called in to work with the biggest companies on earth when they get stuck, when something's really hard and they can't get it done easy. They get that same supply chain problems or mm-hmm. speed and scale and whatever. If they could do it easy for themselves, they would. They would not call us. So they call us. It's already a hard situation. And he said, so we get called in these hard situations, and it's the first time, really, some of these Ivy League people who have always been number one in their class, they run into something really hard, and they're not sure how to work through failing, work through some of these challenges. He's not trying to denigrate them. He's just saying this is a a phenomenon that they've literally experienced. Whereas that kid maybe out of Auburn or um, Georgia Southern or you know NYU or whatever, just a regular good state school well, they had to work their ass off to get through school and they've been through some lumps and they've had to figure it out. And so they're not, um, they're more resilient when they, and and more collab, collaborative. Um, and I find that more and more our industry is having to shape or change its behavior for the better um, so that we can woo more people like this. And it, it just enhances our uh, work environment. And the businesses in our industry are, not that don't do that, they're just not going to survive. I completely agree, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to ask for a soapbox at some point about that. About you know DEI, like there needs to be a massive change. There's 50 percent of the population that is female, <coughs> not nowhere near enough of, of those people 
right. are in the industry and in these specific roles. We, we we're at a time when we need more support in the workforce right. and it's going to be non-white males who's right. going to make the change. Right. You know, and it's really, it's, uh, and it's frustrating, you know, even look from the event perspective, right. I probably look like a horrible person. <clears throat> I was, t- I was joking about this, uh, you know, a couple of, a couple or yesterday, uh, briefly where, you know, you look at my event two weeks out and it looks, it looks pretty damn good. Right. And, you know, we always, you good know, meaning diverse, diverse more, conversations, more, diverse more, people. more diverse, you right. know, more women on the agenda, more right. non-white males on the agenda. Right. And then, you know, a week gets out and then maybe like a couple of days it get out and you get a couple of speaker drops. It happens. Right. People get busy and I get it. Our events are not, you know, their primary job. They're, right. they're extracurriculars right. for them, you know, and even if they love doing it, they right. got to do what they got to do. Right. So then, you know, the event agenda looks a lot different when you get right down to it or you have the event day there. Right. So, and it's really tough. And, and one thing that's frustrating is like, we do make so many efforts to get more specifically women. Right. Uh, on the agendas and right. in the technology and commercial real estate space, it's not that easy of a thing right. because they're simply less. Seventy percent of your draw of the existing market today looks and is educated and is experienced the exact same way. So if you've got to get a last minute grab, I'll bet you more often than not, you're drawing from that pool than this other one just by numbers. It's not even that. It's just that. White dudes say yes every time. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's the most frustrating thing because I feel like female speakers, and I've had many conversations with a lot of people out there, one, maybe they don't, they don't want to be the token woman on a panel full of guys. Right, right. You know, and it's like, but, but someone has to say yes first. Right, and yeah. it's like a domino effect. Like, right. I, I, if I could just, like, plead to the industry in some way, just, like, say yes, just get out there, you know, be on the panel, speak, right. speak for your company. And I'll say this to like the sponsors too. All the time we will, we will pointedly be uh, communicating to our sponsors. Hey, we love for you. You know, I, I even did some research. I went on your leadership page. <clears throat> you got the senior VP up here. White right. dude. You have a VP in the same space. Right. Also very knowledgeable or she wouldn't right. be on your leadership page. Who's a woman. Right. And then what, could she be, could she represent your company? And they're like, right. oh, that's great. No, she's awesome. Well, we're going to go with this person. Right. And it's like, all right. And, you know, they're, they're a sponsor. They're funding uh, the, the, the event and, and the partnership. Right. So you can't make them, right. I guess. But, but it's just I, I feel like companies need to be okay with having not the, if, if it's that case, not the very top person who right. is just like me, white male, right. you know, um, represent their company, have the courage and, and bravery to, to let someone else represent the company because they're, they can do it too. Right. And they're going to do a damn good job. Right. And, and also, you know, when and we, it's just a nuanced perspective, right? It's not, it's not like we've got it. I love what you said. There's the token female. I'm a woman in this industry. You've heard 70 men that look and sound and are educated like you, whatever their color, just men, that our critical infrastructure, we have uh, Lainey, who's in charge of our critical infrastructure development, um, Georgia Tech grad, but she's had to come up in the industry as a woman, and she's not anti-guy or whatever their color or whatever. She's just like, look, here's a, here's a thing that's a little bit different perspective um, as a mom, as a wife, as a hard worker, as a tech grad in these industries – and usually it's it's I can't think of a time she's ever talked about what she's against and how anybody owes her anything. It's just what she's for. And she has such a different perspective 
in about 15%. The other 80% were pretty similar, but the other 15%. And I want to hear that because I hear these all the time. I want to hear the new cool thing that she can see in here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my, my entire Dice series or data center team is all female. Right. And well, it, somebody's got to get the job lucky. done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you leave all this stuff to me. I mean, like, you know, talk about crash and burn, right? right. No, it's awesome. Uh, By the way, which reminds me, before you leave today, I'm going to introduce you to three or four spectacularly excellent women uh, tech leaders here in the Atlanta area. Mm -hmm. um, one in the energy space, one in the fintech and insure tech space, Elizabeth Homicky, who we're releasing mm. next week. She's a genius, formerly of U.S. Bank. Now she's with a um, uh, anyway, so not data center specific, but very applicable to uh, the technologies that you're talking about. Totally. Uh, Allie Kelly, who runs the largest living lab, she's a director of the group uh, in the world in the way of uh, electric vehicle and automotive uh, innovation, based here in Atlanta. Genius. Um, dynamic speakers, really compelling, and um, you will get everything you bargain for from a unique perspective. They're managing moving people around the world because of the geopolitical consequences in the world, the tech that they're involved in. They're all connected to a data center in some way. Um, and if they're available, they're very talented. So it's their their schedules can be a challenge. Yeah. But with enough notice, they like to make themselves available um, to talk about stuff like this. So I'll make sure you get introduced to them. Yeah. And honestly, you know, just just having an enormous list a uh, list of non-white and non-male right. uh, potential speakers that fit the criteria because we we have a business model which is also tough. Right. You know we we invite guest speakers that are largely on the buy side and then public officials. Right. So owner, developer, investor, colocation provider, obviously enterprise end user, hyperscaler. Right. You have those categories, all very busy people, um, and you know the amount of of them that are that are female, uh, more so than that that are not white. Uh, is is smaller, but they're just as busy. They they may not like to speak publicly. They might not have approval to speak publicly. They have all the same issues right. as like the white male. So it's really just like a numbers game. Right. So I, I just it's I hope that in the future, like people can just be open to saying yes more, because one, it'll make our job a lot easier. But then our agendas, I guarantee, will be better right. for it, and then the industry will be better for it. I think. Yeah. You know. Human but I but I, I can't wait to meet all it. these people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So before we move on, so we kind of segued over, but I want to get back to this one thing because I want to be also respective of your time. We only got three more hours. Um, just teasing. You've, you've got to get on a plane here in a little while. But um, if you were to project over the next couple of years, you're not going to be held to this, but you've listened to a thousand people talk about this. What do you think are going to be the hot markets, not counting Northern Virginia, which has its own issue with power and some other stuff? What are the what, what's the market or two that you're like, look, this place is just going to, either it's rolling now and it's going to be the dominant growth player or um, it's going to be however you want to approach it. What do you think the one or two are that we need to be thinking about? Sure. Well, I mean, like the, I think the answer is tier twos and tier threes. Okay. Um, from what I've heard from a lot of different people around the country. So when you uh, say a tier two, what's a tier two? So a, a tier one, we would say is an NFL city, generally speaking. Sure. Maybe I, not Milwaukee or uh, Baltimore. It's pronounced Milwaukee. Milwaukee. And, it means, and it means the good land. Wow. This is going to, we're really going to go sideways if you keep instigating like this, because I can hang with you, but this is a corporate podcast and I got to keep it within the margins. Okay. Milwaukee. So if we define tier one as NFL cities, what would be a tier two? So let's give the Atlanta and Phoenix 
uh, example. They're blowing okay. up right now. Right. And I would call them like tier one and a half. Right. That's usually I, what I, I would what I call one B. Yeah. You know, um, tier twos. You know, like Denver, Utah. Pittsburgh might be a three. I don't know. Yeah, at um, least a three. I hate Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, uh, Maybe a four. <laughs> Do you see that helmet right there? That's the Houston Oilers. Do you know what our single biggest defeat in the history of NFL is? In fact, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's why there is no longer a Houston Oilers. Uh-oh. <sighs> Buffalo Bills. Right behind the Buffalo Bills, the Pittsburgh Steelers ruined our lives. So we don't need to talk about Pittsburgh. Well, We're going to cut this out of the podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm a New York fan, so you know what I have to deal with. Okay. Well, yes, I do. But anyway, so um, you think Pittsburgh could be a? Uh, maybe Pittsburgh would be like a tier three. Okay. But I, I hear I hear a lot of stuff about Salt Lake City. Yeah, Salt Lake City. And then City. Denver for sure. So I was right. going to give this as a use case right. as a third one beyond Atlanta, then right. Phoenix, then Denver. Right. So I've been doing events in Denver for like three, four years now. Wow. And it always was like, you know, 150 to 175 plus, maybe 200 mm -hmm. in terms of like all in. Speakers, sponsors, comps, tickets. We get our agenda, uh, we get our attendee lists right. built from a lot of different places. That's why when people are like, oh, can you send me the attendance? I'm like, no, it's like. It's there, it comes from five different places. I can't even pull all that right, right now, and you're not going to see what it actually is. Right. So anyway, this year, we had the biggest Denver event I've ever had. It had 250. Wow. Over almost 100 more people or 75 more people uh, than previously, than previous years. And the, the main reason of that, and I can touch on this like mm -hmm. for a second, is incentives. Mm. These big companies develop where they get the best incentives and where it actually, you know, sites, from a site selection right. perspective, makes sense on paper. Right. Fitting that criteria, sure. Right. But one of the big parts about that is who's giving me the best deal. Right. You know, and in terms of the best deal, you know, look at markets that compete in the Rocky Mountain, we're Rocky Mountain West, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Microsoft has a huge platform out there, and it's because they probably got a lot of incentives and free land right. to build there. And now right. they have a huge presence out there. Every state of the market, big picture, C-suite, COO, C CEO, session I've hosted for the past like three, four years, it always comes down to the same conversation piece. You know, why has this, why hasn't this market popped? Like, oh, well, you know, there's just not local government support yet. Right. It's not there. There aren't the incentives to drive it. Right. And this year we had a, we had a sponsor, Aurora EDC, who has a, a, a nice incentive package for, for build to bring business in there. And they did a, a sponsorship and, and a commercial to, to tell everyone about that. Mm -hmm. And that was great. Uh, but incentives are finally becoming a thing. Right. And wherever you find incentives, you're going to find some activity because people are going to find that to be a good deal. And as long as there's fiber in the ground and infrastructure in place, available land and available energy and power and capacity, you're going to have a good recipe for success. Mm. But but that's a big part of it, having the incentive. So right. that was eye-opening. We had a great event. People seemed to really enjoy the, their time out in Denver um, I certainly did. I did some yeah. camping in the Rocky Mountains. I saw two My Morning Jacket shows in in, in Red Rocks. Wow. Um, which was great with right. my girlfriend and some yeah. friends out there, and it was it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna spend like a week out in Denver every year yeah. for sure. It's, but but yeah, so Denver for sure is gonna yeah. pop, I think, and continue to grow. Uh, Salt Lake City again. I, I hear a lot of great things about that market. Um, let's talk about subsea cables for a second. Yeah. If you if you plant a subsea cable landing station in a location, you draw a circle around it. Right. And then within two to three years, you're going to have a burgeoning market. Right. Like Hillsboro, Oregon. Right. Hillsboro, that's got the subsea cable landing station in there now. Right. And you have all kinds of uh, builds there. Right. You know, QTS was building a ground up. Right. Digital Realty was expanding. Uh, Stack, I believe, was expanding. They've been, yeah. they were, were an old player back right. when John Chaputis had Fortune. That was like one of their early data centers in Hillsboro. Right. Uh, very forward thinking, I guess, there. Right. 
Um, and and you know, multitude NTT's doing doing stuff out there, and a lot right. of other companies are doing stuff right. out there as well. Pr- pretty pretty much everybody to one degree or the other. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so that's 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 definitely growing market that's going to be very exciting to watch. Right. You have uh, even if you're talking about Virginia, it's all about right. you know. Northern Virginia, that's right. the hotbed, and and historically, like it's it's number number one market on the planet because of the infrastructure that was coincidentally placed there. But I think the early network company was Hibernia, right? Way back when or whatever. Yeah. But so that's that's like by design. It just happened, right? Um, and I don't think there will be another Virginia because right. it's it you know things will grow substantially. But Virginia right. is Virginia outlier. Right. right. But look at Virginia Beach. Right. Now they got a subsea cable landing station. There's going to be a lot of activity out there right. too. Well, we got lucky in that. I say lucky. My CEO got QTS is wonderfully lucky. He, um, I just think he's crazy like a fox. We bought that old sub, uh, uh, prefab plant in, I don't remember when it was, 2009, 2010, whatever it was. <clears throat> a billion-dollar facility for basically, I don't even think it was a penny on a dollar. I think we bought it for $12 bucks, And it had a 120-megawatt or a 100 megawatt substation that could be doubled to 200 megawatts uh, easy. Like we had enough property to literally double or triple the size. And it was quiet. We had some modest success there, a couple big customers. But then Facebook built out there. Bank of America did something out there. And it was moving along pretty good. We're talking about uh, Henrico County? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, Twilight Power. And Love Twyla. the sea cable landed. Wendy over there. Yeah. And it exploded. Mm-hmm. And now it is generated, to your point, there's so much activity going on in that area. Yeah. Yeah, and why why Facebook move there? It, it made sense on paper, sure, but right. Henrico County probably had yeah. some frothy incentives for them to look at, and then Twyla reeled it in, and right. and, uh, and her team right. uh, was able to to get that that. Done. And also, it's like the, it's like the Starbucks effect. Right. Yeah. No. No. No uh, cups indicated on camera. No, yeah. not at all. We'll um, get Derek to blur that out. <laughs> to blur out a random <laughs> thing. What the hell is that? But uh, so you know the Starbucks effect in, in commercial real estate. You talk about that one Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts, sure, right. moves into a town. That's when it's. That's when that area, or moving to an area, that's when that area is going to be like, right. okay, this is safe now. We're, let's, right. let's let's start developing here because right. you got coffee. Right. Yeah. Do you know who that used to be that that uh, sign of doing that forever for about 45, 50 years? Who's that? McDonald's. Oh, t- okay. When a McDonald's would move into a town, later a Walmart. When a Walmart would move in, uh, not the original iteration, but once they started getting some success, there'd be these big anchors. Yeah. Um, and people. You know, I remember listening to this uh, Burger King guy who's genius. He said, all we did was watch to see where a McDonald's went in. You know, McDonald's had this ridiculous budget for real estate development and whatever. We're like, ah, okay, we'll just get one block down. Just one block down. Not quite the same traffic. Not quite, But I saved all this. You know, we've got three people on our team. They've got 10,000 on their team to find the right spot. Yep. But I think it's the same idea. Subsea cables are kind of that. Starbucks or whatever that anchor you plop that down and it's going to radiate out and drive development. Mm-hmm. Is it, um, so why do you think um, company or uh, states like Colorado and Utah? Because we saw this. So I'm I love action sports. For example, probably can't tell from my wall. Disc golf, dirt bike racing. Disc golf. Oh, don't we I, don't have I, time. I've never played that. But. Most addicting. Don't once you do. You will never stop playing it. I promise you. You're gonna think I'm crazy. I promise you, it's that addicting. I used to play ultimate frisbee. Yeah, and, then we, well, we, yeah. and all the ultimate frisbee people now are playing disc golf. It's yeah. wildly addictive. But anyway, 
We saw this in Atlanta in the movie industry. A number of years ago, they came in and they said, some of the folks from Chick-fil-A and others said, let's make these incentives. We are now, certainly in the U.S., but probably the world, the number one television and movie production state uh, in the country, if not the world. Nashville, mm -hmm. not far from it, in Tennessee, for music. Um, but we see these incentives. We saw in Utah, loving action sports, um, when the pandemic came through, I love dirt bike racing. Mm. And they had shut down so many of the venues in California for whatever their reasons were, protecting their citizens, whatever. But Utah said, we'll, if you'll come to us, it's way off the beaten path, but we'll create these incentives. We'll give you Rice Eccles Stadium. We'll do all this other stuff for you. They now have this, we have a love affair with Utah and their action sport and whatever. And they're good, easy people to work with. And they have these amazing incentives. So I think to your point, Economic incentive is always the first thing in site selection. It's not the only thing. You'd be wildly cheap, but with no connectivity, no workforce, no transportation hub. We'll get back to you. Maybe that was Columbus, Ohio five years ago. Mm -hmm. Now it's all there. Yeah, so same, people are going Paul there. Or, or Minneapolis. Right, you know, that's, another, that's another great tier right. two. So interesting. So tier two, um, you see these as the markets with the incentives that are going to be we're going to be talking about for the next couple of years. This is where it's blowing up. At. I think they're all going to be very successful markets. I think there are markets that I haven't listed that are also going to be doing very well that we don't even know mm -hmm. uh, or aren't on the map in this space yet for a multitude of reasons, for sure. Right. But those are ones that like come to mind right off the top of my head. When people show up at an event, besides the big names, and maybe in, also in addition to state of the market, if there was a category that people really want to listen to. You get the most interaction in the Q&A, which I think is always an indicator of audience uh, engagement. What's it gonna be? What do you think it is? Oh, well, can, you, can you ask the question again? Yeah, so you've got the opportunity, you've got a certain number of hours, you've got six or seven topics that mm. you could, could be construction and development, could be new markets, it could be cloud edge, it could be sustainability, it could be, diversity in the workforce, like you've got a variety of categories that you will host some version of that at most of your events. What, besides state of the market that we've talked about, um, and the future, which is always fun to talk about, but nobody knows because it's the future. Um, what is the topic or the conversation that either the leaders really want to participate in and the audience really wants to Q&A in that gets the most attention from your audience? What would that topic either broadly or narrowly be about? With our ecosystem yeah. and community. Yeah. That uh, is in, in the, your in world, the, the events now, that you have yeah. world. We know that because of a data-driven approach. Okay. When I was a game show host hosting webinars every week, right. we hosted a lot of different topics and we had different types of topics that would get different attendances. Right. Number one, without fail, construction design development. Okay. Number two, infrastructure oper operations, cooling, design, okay. um, data center management. That was number two, okay. which was kind of on par with the state of the market. Right. The, the, the deep tech cloud stuff did not drive as much attention from our people because we're, our, our ecosystem is a little bit less on the technology side, but we right. still, we still have them in the room, right. you know, the enterprise end users and those folks that are, are working on those things. And that's right. why I put those people on panels too, because right. 
it's all no pun intended. Right. It's all connected. It's right. all, all it's all like connected in the grand scheme of things. Right. You know the catalyst. Oh, we need more cloud. We need more of this tech. Okay, right. how are you going to build it? When are you going to build it? How are you going to operate it? And right. everyone's got to be talking to each other. There needs to be like really good communication in this industry, which was another topic that we used to integrate into various panels like ops and design build. Mm. You know why are why is the person building this thing not talking to the operator who's going to run it? Mm-hmm. He, this person's going to run it. This person's building it. You need to be talking to each other to make sure that you're building the spec in the right way for their growth, mm-hmm. anticipated growth, and unanticipated growth. Mm-hmm. You know, so all these things are, those are by far our three biggest topics. Mm. Um, but other topics, uh, you know, like the workforce stuff, uh, DEI, like all these other things, mm-hmm. what I've tried to do and, and what my team is doing is putting these little nuggets, these little topics in different conversations throughout the entire agenda. So if we don't have a panel on sustainability, we have the infrastructure operations panel, just like you were on the other day, right. which has sustainability and energy efficiency as part of, the as part of it. Right. Energy. Right. It's, their, it's the energy sector's Super Bowl right now because they're, it's a, we're in an energy crisis, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and with that, energy is going to get talked about on the top-level state of the market, it's going to be talked about in design build. It's going to be talked about in ops conversations. It's going to be talked about in a site selection conversation. Right. It's woven throughout. So every single conversation is truly multifaceted. Right. And and the panelists and, and speakers do the job for me. They lead into the next session, right. which is a, a good segue. Right. Like, oh, I'm so glad you said that because this next panel is about blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, it makes me look really smart. Right. <laughs> well, it's, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> sometimes our moderators... Um, you know, if you get stronger personalities, um, good moderators seem to, in my opinion, they can pull back a little bit. Yeah, we've got our list of questions, but mm-hmm. I've got some real engagement going on here, so let's let them go. But at the same time, I need to reel shepherd in, them in. into yeah, yeah. not making it an infomercial or yeah. we got to observe time. We've got to be respectful of the other people yeah. on the stage. And when you're passionate and you're in it as a speaker, it's easy to lose track of some of that. So the moderators got to do, but I do like it when they allow some freedom for them to getting to, for the, the different panelists to engage. Do you ever have it where it gets contentious up there? Have you ever had that happen? Oh, absolutely. And it's honestly, it's a good thing. You know, when, uh, when you have, I mean, you know, I feel like the conversation you, you mentioned this, I think a while back, couldn't confirm if, if not, but you and Mel were, were having a conversation. It wasn't on a panel, but just in the back end one, you had different opinions. Yeah. On, on the way things were evolving. Yeah. And you come from different places. Right. You know? Yeah. So and and you know, it was like it was a it was a somewhat a contentious conversation. Yeah. But it was a valuable, I think a probably a valuable conversation right. but for both of you. I don't and, remember and if it was contentious, but I do remember not contentious, but just like yeah. we're not agreeing yeah. here. He said and, I think it's oh, I remember what it was. Um it was about workforce work. Work, I can't remember exactly. I shouldn't. I don't want to. I don't want to misremember. But yeah. I was like, I don't see that at all. I see it this way, and it wasn't more or less optimistic than his way. But here's why, and uh, I was too stupid to know not to argue with somebody like uh, Melvin Greer when I, you know, I'm working off of emotion. One hundred ten percent the time, the smartest person in the room. Also, I mean. And, or, a, and you know, an honorable, noble, gentle, friendly he's a, human yeah, being. He's awesome. Just awesome in every way around. And so thank goodness, or he would have, uh, you know, could have been ugly for me. But um, yeah, I, I like that. So long as it's, um, we can disagree. We don't have to be, um, you know, there's the truth or there's being honest and there's brutal honesty, mm-hmm. you know. 
be truthful, be be forceful. I hear what you're saying. I just think it's, you know, uh, what did it say? The movie Apollo 13, where the, all the engineers were like, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're worried. And, um, you know, uh, Ed Harris's character says, I think this is going to be our finest hour. I think we're going to overcome every odd. I, I genuinely believe this. And we're going to show blah, 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 blah. And so you can disagree looking at the same set of facts and, you know, We'll see what happens. Yeah. I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, good thing T. Hanks was there. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. That's exactly right. So um, before we run out of time, what are, what do you think is, as you listen to all of these conversations over all of this time, what do you think the single biggest, or I don't know, what are the trends that stick out to you? Like, we're going to be talking about this in a really significant way and probably moving from talk to really implementation and acting on it in the next, I don't know, by this time next year or the near future as it relates to our industry? I mean, without fail, diversity and workforce development is going to continue to be an issue mm. and something that needs a solution mm. and many solutions. There's no one solution that's going to fix anything. Right. And what I would what I would hope from the industry and the world is that these big, massive companies that are doing great things, I feel like a lot of the time, by design, they're doing it in a siloed format. Mm. If they open up and everyone just starts really collaborating, oh, XYZ, biggest company in the world, or one of them, is doing something great, and they actually start talking to other biggest company in the world, and then they make it public, everyone's probably going to copy and do it, and then it's going to solve these problems faster because there's actual collaboration across industries, across ideologies across companies mm -hmm. that are competing with each other. But this isn't a, this isn't an issue that we can like sit around with. It mm -hmm. needs to be fixed and fast, you know, just like climate change is a global effort, mm -hmm. you know, to, mm -hmm. to offset this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if some countries don't believe in it or care about it, mm -hmm. that's going to be bad for everyone on the planet. <clears throat> if one massive company doesn't, doesn't, you know, share some great insight that's uh, about tactics that are working mm -hmm. because they want the best workforce for themselves. Right. It's going to stunt the entire industry's growth or the world's growth in terms of the workforce there. Right. So I think the collaboration and communication and openness right. and not being siloed is like this really important topic that everyone needs to be on board with and yeah. be talking about. Do you think they're not doing it to the degree you would expect right now because it, it, I hear it all the time this conversation it's it's like a supply chain issue we hear two big things sort of in the list of things whatever else our efficiency is whatever else our innovation is if I don't have the if I'm not placing an order now for a key component within my infrastructure I'm not going to have it in 14 18 months where that didn't used to be the problem part of that is because I'm not going to name any specific companies, but there are the largest companies in the world that go out and they buy Stock, uh, stockpile, stockpile yeah. two years worth of forklifts yeah, or, or the hydraulic pump. For, so mm -hmm. they don't buy necessarily the entire chassis, but I got all the hydraulic pumps and the chips for the forklifts. Who, who else is going to, you know, where are you going to go get, you're either going to get a subpar or a used or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's it. So when you, when you talk about the workforce, I mean, I do, I have seen, it's not workforce, but Dean Nelson with Infrastructure Masons, mm -hmm. rallying people together to talk about, among other things, but primarily infrastructure, infrastructure efficiency, um, energy use, sustainability. And he's really good at getting a diverse group of operators and owners and uh, like-minded people together 
to hash it out, sometimes contentiously, but mm -hmm. to hash it out. Um, you don't see that same level of effort yet on the workforce, and you see that as an area to, of development? There's absolutely effort, but the difference, I think, is that I think every company needs to be making whatever's working for them. Right. Public. Pu public. Right. Open source, so everyone can start collaborating with ideas. Right. And then and finding ways to to achieve you know a solution for this right you know together uh, uh from from their own lens from where they sit right and then it'll be there'll be more benefits from this everywhere in little pockets versus like oh this is happening really great here over here not so great they don't know what they're doing right. but if they did then this would be great too this would be great this would be great so that kind of thing and you know Dean's speaking on my at my next event on an energy panel his uh, the company that he's at is uh is well, virtual power systems uh -huh. that and like um, if, if I'm not like 100%, you know, on, on the platform, mm -hmm. it seems at a high level, they're working to have a platform that provides services only when you need them. Mm. And the same thing with the, with the telecom companies, like the, you know, I won't say any names for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, and internet companies, right? Why are we paying for a monthly fee of internet usage or phone usage when we're sleeping Six, eight. Well, I sleep like five hours a night, but right. when we're when most people are sleeping like eight to ten hours, uh, right. a, eight whatever, eight hours right. a night, we're, we're not, not making using phone it. calls. Why, right. why are we paying for this? Pay for what you use, and I think that at a high level, uh, VPS seems like it's a, a pay what you use on the energy side. There needs to be that kind of thing for all this stuff because we're wasting a lot, and it seems like uh, from the conversations we have at events, you know, when a when a big hyperscaler says, "I want two hundred megawatts." they're going to use 200 megawatts. When an enterprise company says, I want five megawatts, they're going to use like one, or, one, or, one or two megawatts. Yeah. You know, and that's wasted, that's stranded capacity. That's, strand, that's, that's wasted capacity that could be used elsewhere. Right. And they're like, oh, what if we need more and we, we don't have it? Then, you know, that situation. But when all these companies are doing that, it's compounded. And right. then that's a lot of wasted stuff that could be used more efficiently yeah. globally. Um, so I think that, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a sea change that needs to happen. People yeah. have to utilize what you're using, less waste yeah. overall. I, I hope that's an age old problem though, whether it's the data center business or whatever, the hyperscalers, because they are, and when we say hyperscale, we're talking about the 25 or 30 largest e-commerce, social media, cloud platform, search engine, whatever companies on earth, far and away the wealthiest companies on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the enterprise is the Fortune 1000, not including these 30 or 40 that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. the, the, for operators like us, the challenge is if they come in and buy that five megawatts, I have to build the infrastructure that supports the contract that we have together. Mm -hmm. Because if they go to draw upon it, what we've learned is a computer can't hold its breath. So if it goes to draw on the power and it's not there because I've oversubscribed it. Mm -hmm. So I have to build capital, strand capital, build the infrastructure to support a five megawatt environment that you and I both know they're only going to use 30 to 40% of it. And so this is an age old problem. How yeah. do I get them to consume more? They don't know. They're, they're, it's not as tight over here in the insurance business. Whereas one of these big um, IT organizations they are hyper focused uh, to be a little obnoxious. They're cons they're running at the 80, 90, 95% consumption 
Um, and they're really, really focused on it. They've just fine-tuned it. I, I just feel like that's probably not uncommon across any industry. You've got very, very, very few focused, very efficient, and then you've got the rest that are um, not so much. Well, I mean, this, yeah, it, it is across industries. It's across uh, different, different levels of it's, it's, it's down to you and me. Right. Pandemic. Where was the toilet paper? I'm not going to confess. Where's the toilet paper? Honestly, I wish I had a bidet. You know, <laughs> I'm still very interested. I'm. I was at this one hotel years back, and I was at this hotel, and it had a bidet. Yeah. I was like, oh man, this is great. I'm going to try this thing. It had so many fucking buttons. I couldn't figure out how to use it. Right. I didn't. Thank God they did. I had. Paper, I had the different experience. It, it, the people before me left theirs on. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. So you had a, you had a water feature. I didn't know if it was my re my reaction of surprise or my reaction afterwards. Like, hey, what's this all about? This, is a, you know, I don't know if I want to discover all of this parts about me, but yeah, it's um, uh, we'll see if this makes it into the podcast yeah. too. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Look, I, I, our CEO loves to say something, which is we can't solve anything we don't we're not willing to talk about. And one of the things that's really cool, um, I think for our industry. Uh, is we try to get these things, and I do think there's uh, people like Dean, who we've talked about. Bill Kleeman is another one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. He's over at Switch, yeah. who, with elegance, uh, Missy Young, sometimes mm -hmm. I hear her talk about stuff that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Let's put this out for conversation, which doesn't mean I agree with them or I agree with their approach, but let's have the conversation. At, at least around energy, I find a lot of people that in the past would not have been bedfellows, but now they are. For example, one group says we need to change what we're doing with energy and efficiency because of the consequences to the environment and to whatever. There's other groups now that say, you know what, I don't even know if that's real. And I'm not I'm not going to get down that rabbit hole of, of arguing whether it is or isn't. But what is real to them is energy independence. I don't want to be beholden to a nation state, not me, that can control and impact my economy. So how do I leverage energy independence? Well, you don't import your energy from someplace else. You make it. So what does that look like? Is it hydro? Is it wind? Is it solar? Is it nuclear? Is it natural gas? Like what options do you have to invest in the infrastructure so that you have independence? Th these groups, while they may have different reasons for approaching it, they've got the same goal, which is to have sustainable, renewable, affordable um, energy so that we, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I see that more and more. But if we're not having the conversation, we can't resolve the problem. Right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, controversial topic here. I, I have a big problem with this. A lot of companies say they're going to be carbon neutral and energy and, you know, green, all green by X, Y, Z date. That's great. Right. The reality, which just kills me over and over again, is that they are not. They are buying energy credits so that people will, energy companies, utilities will build these right. systems for someone else or right. or for the future. Right. That's great. That's also a good thing. Right. But companies need to be more accountable. If they're going to say you'll be green, you'll right. be green. Be green. Right. Don't pay someone else to be green right. for you, you know? Right. And this is a hard conversation to have. And if I, you know, you know, address this on a panel, they'll probably right. never speak on a panel <laughs> because, you know, no one wants that PR story. Right. But but with that with that said, um, you know, I, I think that needs to be a change in the industry as well. Yeah. I think that these these claims of like we're gonna go green right. need to mean they're actually going green and then you know sub uh, um, 
uh, micro microgrids. Right. You know, great solution to have on site power. A lot of a lot of these big colos and other companies are building their own power generation on site because they right. know they need to. Right. After the the Texas situation, after after the Virginia situation in North Virginia, all the brownouts and blackouts that have happened brown, in California, yeah, in California stuff. Yeah. All that. This is like this is like blatant proof that everyone needs to be thinking about this stuff and then taking extra steps to not be as reliant on just the grid. Right. Because at the end of the day. People like you and I need power to live, right? And and it can't be at we can't be our our our. You are not a modern be, society yeah. if you do not have electricity and connectivity. It's just a fact, and that's not a political statement. It is. You want to know what separates the people in the world that are rising above poverty as a people group mm -hmm. and those that are stuck in it and entrenched in it? It's electricity, easy electricity, and easy connectivity. If you don't have those two things. You are the have-nots and will forever be the have-nots. And then you can add clean water and other things, but it starts with those two things. What I dig about these panels is um, uh, there is, I have seen some collaboration, and because it reflects my company, I'm not going to go too, because I don't want to make this an infomercial, but um, Travis Wright, who I think is speaking out West, is like... Yeah, he's speaking at, uh, he went. Um, he's awesome. He is awesome, because one of his first things he came to our board was he said, look, I figured out how we're going to buy power Right. Here's the goal is to be 100% green just in the way that you described. Here's where we're at now. We have data centers in these locations and we either don't have microgrids or it's not easily available. So what's our path to be this? First, we're going to learn how to buy power. And it may be credits in the beginning, but we need to have a path. Let's publish it. And where he went, and I think to his credit, God love the guy. He went and said, now I'm going to share it with my competitors. I was just going to say, and what you need to do is make that public, open source, so right. everyone can do these things that work he does to it. solve the problem. He does it. He's like, That's look, great. we're going to differentiate ourselves, not just on that. That is a component. But the, but the customer service experience that our customers have with us, that's why they do business with us. The economics first. Are we economic there? Are we, what's, do we have operational excellence? But we have a lot of competitors that have right economics and have operations ex, operational excellence and operational maturity. And then what's their experience with doing business with us? Like if these two are table stakes, what's their experience? And so why would we not share, if it's for the greater good, some of these things? Now, that's not our first instinct. It's not my first instinct, but it is his first instinct. And he has begun that. And now other people are saying, not only do we have a group that reports up to the board, not only do we publish an environmental social governance report or ESG report, but how do we share with our community uh, because it's just the right thing to do. Let's not, you know, anyway. Uh, but I, I love that kind of collaboration. Uh, but if you're, but if you, you don't own a, one of these big companies, if you, Adam Knobloch, are in charge, it's your thing and you got shareholders that you're beholden mm -hmm. to, you, you don't want to give up too many competitive advantages. Exactly. I know you want, we say it for the greater good, but totally it's, get it. I got payroll, I got these things to mm -hmm. do. And um, how do I have this balance, this tension of doing that? Yeah, it's it's super. T I I'm I'm glad I'm not in that position, you know. I I don't know. I'd like to say that I would do the right thing, right, for the greater good, but then you know if someone's funding me, what if they're not? Right. Then if you if then I can't do the greater good because it right. doesn't exist, right? Because I don't have the money to do it. So I mean, it's it's a again a collaboration. Right. The people behind the scenes who are empowering. Uh, the companies to do these things financially, right? And then the folks who are at the companies making moves. And then the the industry as well, all needs to be on the same page. Right. And and it seems like there was a, 
an interesting uh, dynamic where, you know, efficiency and sustainability really had a boom in the past like year and a half, two years and stuff like that. Uh, or that kind of time frame, right. because the end user was saying, look, we need to see what your energy efficiency plan is and what your carbon neutral, uh, right. your, what your ESG plan is and all this stuff. Right. And now the biggest companies out there who are the clients are saying, we demand this. Right. And now the now the companies are like, oh, now we're all about it right. because we want to support our clients. Yeah. yeah, they want that. They want that deal to close. They want right. that whatever. And that's great. Right. So end users out there, tenants, people who are in the facilities, bitch about it all. Demand it, and that will cause change because the, the people who support your infrastructure and and enable you to do your jobs and, and run your businesses, right. they they want to do it, but they need to be able to be empowered to do it. And I right. feel like it needs to come from there too. It's yeah. all sides. It's yeah. It it's never going to change. It, you're exactly right with the environmental. We've seen this in, um, you know, social justice. Um, there was a period of time when there was a lot of resistance to traditional, uh, how things were ordered. It's easy for us 50 years later to say this was wicked and evil and yeah, wrong. Yeah, hindsight's 2020. Right, yeah. and, and, and it should have been self-evident in some cases. And people ignored the problem, ignored the problem until a bomb went off near a church in Alabama. And they saw little girls in their Sunday school dress being carried out. And they looked around and said, how is this okay in any way? In any, in any group, with these little innocent children, so their skin color is different than mine, it is one of the pivotal moments of um, where the majority of a population, and, and these circumstances aren't uni unique to the United States, in Ireland, um, in around the world, when we see these things happening, and all of a sudden we're sort of snapped out of a fog and mm -hmm. say, what are we doing as a people to the least amongst us? How are we... How is this okay? Whatever it is, um, we used to put, uh, you know, we had to create child labor laws. It seems self-evident to us now. You shouldn't do that. Uh, you shouldn't treat children like this. It wasn't self-evident in the 1800s because 98% of your effort went to feeding yourself. Mm -hmm. How do we do it? So I just, I'm just hopeful that at venues like yours um, and others that exist out there, that we have the courage to have the conversation. And let's work it out. Let the best idea win, as iron sharpens iron. Let the best idea win, but let's have the courage to have the conversation. Yeah, so. I completely agree. I mean, I, I rely on the on the the speakers and then folks we partner up with to to be courageous and and open up and be you know forthright with with the topics they're speaking about. And I think I've gotten really I've been really lucky to work with a lot of amazing people. I guess you're in there too. Uh, <laughs> boy. I was about to say, well, Rima did invite me to come out west, so I'm planning to do that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You you won't believe how tall the chair I'm putting you on is. <laughs> I'm I'm going to stop right there. There is a height to weight ratio you do need to maintain in the state of California. So let's. Um, it's okay. You know why? Why? Kurt Lindorfer over a paradigm, uh -huh. a structural engineer, will be in the house. <laughs> He'll be on a different panel, but he's going to ensure that you are safe because God, uh, God knows I don't need anything. Yeah, the, I'm going to wear a cape. I'm going to wear a cape just in case I fall. I can, I can swoop down on the ground. Look, let's let's uh, as we go to wrap it up. Um, uh, we will of course put links into uh, your organization, how people can find you. Um, Reed, you you guys publish great things. You host great shows. Um, thank you for coming on here. I don't normally have vendors come on, but I, I thought this was compelling. I love what you put together. One last thing. I want you to make a prediction. 
maybe it's something we've talked about, something we haven't talked about besides the um, the conversation we've talked about workforce and how that needs to continue to evolve and develop. If there was a technical trend or a technical idea, again, you just listen to the people talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. You're not an operator yourself. What do you think we're going to see or hear from an operation or a technical perspective that doesn't have to do with supply chain or the workforce itself that people are talking about the most that you think is going to either be the focus of the conversation or is going to be really implemented that we're not talking all that much about now or it's just talk now that we're not implementing? Anything? Anything uh, come to mind? I mean, well, uh, so so including workforce and, and no, not including the workforce, not how we're attracting people to the organization. So that aside, I just mean no, like no, no. Well, well, yeah. well, the, getting the job done. Yeah, that guy kind of thing. So I, okay. I think that one of the biggest things that's going to impact the ability to support infrastructure today is next gen tech of all kinds integrated into these systems, the operation stack, you know, BIM modeling and, and making the builds more efficient mm-hmm. and then stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that having technology and jobs that need to be done mm-hmm. coming becoming one, mm-hmm. having more technology and strategies to use within that is going to make everything more efficient and will help things move faster, more efficiently. Right. Uh, moving moving forward. I did I did, yeah did I close enough. That? You know, and I, we're going to end on that. You know why I love that? Because if you if somebody were to ask me did and I, we have you, not ho- obviously you're going to end with me not being able to answer <laughs> a question. <laughs> All I would say is I think. I would agree. I, in fact, I think I violently agree with you. My perspective is that the data center has to be, and you've heard me say this many times before, and we did not host this con- or uh, rehearse this conversation. It's got to be a software defined. Like it's mm. like the data center is a software defined. Whether you know, we, yes, we're putting in maybe generators or we're you know cooling and mechanical and electrical and all these other things. But at the end of the day, they, they're all fully integrated into a big data lake. They're integrated in systems that have to be um, help the operator, the consumer, everybody in and around this um, asset to get the very most out of it. I need analytics for my environment. And not just like we did when I first got in the industry, get a spreadsheet or a page of charts and graphs and whatever. That's not how people consume it anymore. They consume it on their phone. Mm-hmm. They, I want simple and easy things. I want AI telling me. I want machine learning running in the background to help learn my personal environment where I'm the operator of the whole thing or I'm managing an environment in there. Um, but I want to be able to almost like a TikTok or a whatever. I just want quick, actionable stuff. And I want to be able to integrate or interact with it in that way and move along. Now, I've got the ability to dive super deep um, but for the easy casual, I think it's got to be integrated like that. Even though it's wildly complex under the skin, it's got to be fully integrated. And if it isn't, um, I just don't know that those operators are going to survive. Yeah. So, so with that point, like knowing the question a little bit more, completely agree. I think that a tech, taking a technology first approach is is what needs to be done, right. and always using data driven systems to support that what you're doing. Right. So that's a more concise answer so you to think, the question. Yes, it is. You, so you think that's going to be what everybody's going to, in the same way that people didn't talk that much about environmental stuff, but now you don't do business if you don't have a robust mm-hmm. story there. Right. In the same way, if you don't have a robust story around this technology first conversation, um, you're going to be, a, you're not even going to be a fast follower anymore. You're just going to, you're going to become less and less relevant. 
Yeah, I think I think that is going to be a must for okay. every company that wants to grow and and survive and okay. and be and be competitive. Okay. What do you think about the growth of the industry? You think we're going to like we're moving to a campus first, you know, once upon a time we we're like, wow, if we could have 100 megawatts. So for a to put that in perspective, that could be anywhere from a 700,000 to a million square foot facility. Mm-hmm. We're long past those conversations. Now we're looking at entire campuses that are hundreds of acres because it allows us to make the maximum efficiency of workforce and facilities and standardization and all of these things that we're talking about. Do you, that's how I see it. Do you think we're going to be moving more and more to the campus format versus standalone? Or do you think it's, no, it's really still going to be more the standalone world? What do you think? I think it's everything. You know, you talk about that's cheating. No, well, that's well, like circling the slash between yes or no. So, all right, so to elaborate on that, it's like, so the you know everyone's like, oh, is everyone when the cloud was getting really big, you know, everyone's going to go to the cloud, and then you know, oh, massive data centers are going to not exist in the future or whatever, right. and things are getting smaller, and you have micro data centers, <clears throat> and you have like different you know different strategies for that. Right. Everything supports itself. By the way, that's what Melvin and I were disagreeing about. I know. I, re- I remember talking to him about yeah. that because he didn't, I, if I recall, he did not think that massive data centers were going to be the future. They were going to go extinguished. I, I personally think that they are always going to be a part of the equation, mm-hmm. but there will be a lot of micro sure. and, and mid-sized kind of things that support it elsewhere right. because we need it all. Right. And it needs to be more creative. Right. I mean, look at look at autonomous vehicles. If you're going there, you need a data. The data center is a car. The car right. is going to be the data center, I think. Right. And then also to have the connectivity and and confidence that people aren't going to crash into each other. Every single mile marker on the highway is going to have a pop, a node, some kind of thing. Wait till you talk to Allie Kelly. This is her world. Which, Keep going. Yes. Yeah. Well, so I think that that's you know it's, it's all connected. It's all right. going to be part of the, uh, right. the story moving forward. Right. Um, but the car is going to do the edge. I think. Well, the data center. It's going to do the data warehousing. I think the car is going to be like an an on-prem data center yeah. in some way. Yeah. And I think that to make sure that there is connectivity all the way through right. mile markers, yeah. there's going to be some kind of transmission that that lets technology flow yeah. constantly, so that there won't be situations where like, oh, well, we had some latency here, and that's why this this right. family died in a car crash because that they, they right. hit this other car or whatever. Right. You know. So I think I think it's 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 a it's a multifaceted. Answer right. and, and thanks for giving me a question like that to end on where there is no real answer, <laughs> but but in in a in you know in all belief I think that it's going to be a little bit of everything right. still working together just like it is things will shift mm-hmm. they'll move but on, like you know massive campuses mm-hmm. how about this every massive campus the entire roof should be solar pro, uh, sucking up and storing energy right. they should all be surrounded by a moat right. which will provide hydro electric power. Which also would probably build facil- them on a hilltop, which would, so that you can do. Which uh, would probably facilitate security as well. Right. And then you know, uh, you know, every every aspect of the data center should be powering itself right. as much as possible, so you're less reliant on the grid. Like that. Right. That would be a a really cool thing that could happen in the future. And then also, hey, you know, uh, on the side, make a greenhouse. Start right. start making food for the local community that you're in. And then give it back to them. Don't sell it. Just give it. Just give it back to the homeless. Right. Because the fact that there are ho- people who go starving in this country, right. a first world country, and other first world countries, is just stupefying. It, when we stand before God, in my it. opinion, you know, it's it's uh, not to get religious, but this is. A, I love to have that. Even with my agnostic and atheist friends, we have this conversation. I think we're at least modestly aligned here, which is, if there really is a creator of the universe, that at some point we're going to give an account of our life to. 
especially in the United States of America or Western countries, it, it blows my mind. Oh, anyway, without going too far, I would just say that, look, over and over and over when you look at these things, um, this philosophy is across humanist philosophy or whatever. If you have two of something, be willing to share. If you've got extra of this, of course, take care of yourself and your family, your company or whatever. Be willing to invest. That's one of the reasons why um, the conversation yesterday about economic development or whatever, it's that we don't do it perfectly. It's a company. Companies aren't in place of people, but it's cool when they have this attitude of, um, how do we do that? We do that a lot here at my company. I, there's a lot of organizations that participate in yours that that's their heart as well. I'm sure there's PR out of it, but there's a lot of how do I get into the nitty gritty? Um, we heard somebody talk about, or I've heard somebody talk about, imagine a data center where, and this is thought leadership, today we cannot imagine having water on top of a data center. Like it blows our mind. Why would we do that? Too much risk to all the electronic stuff underneath it. Well, your solar farm may not work well on the roof, but if the whole wall and window they're experimenting with this in New York and mm -hmm. other places, can absorb it and is its own battery and Wi-Fi and internet through modern material science. And up on top, you have water or whatever that you release it down, just like they do in other traditional pump hydro energy. You release it down to turn turbines, to generate power. You pump it up when you've got an excess. You drop it when... Like there's... Let's just keep rethinking, and how can we do this in materials that, like a tree when it's over and it devolves back into the landscape? It does no harm. Now, today, we're like, oh, you Pollyanna crazy, whatever. Well, you'll never get there. Maybe we get 20% there if you don't attempt. We still got to be profitable. We started, we've had many points of this conversation talking about how economics drives things. Nobody's saying not do that, but you could be wildly economically efficient and end your planet because, you know, it's way more efficient to dump kerosene in the river, but then you catch the river on fire and kill everything in it and you have no sustainable aquifer and that, right? So we don't mm -hmm. do that. But anyway, I look forward. One of the things I love about the events is data centers, I think, are not just here to stay. They are going to be wildly integrated in our world because we're consuming more and more data. It's going to live somewhere, whether it's in cars or whatever it's going to be in. So how do we keep innovating on how we integrate them to benefit us, not just move data. And this is your events are cool places to hear that stuff. Yeah. I, I'm always I'm always impressed with the things I hear and learn from the people that I get to work with. You know, I'm I'm often I think I'm almost always the dumbest person in the room at all my events, which mm. is great because I get to soak it in from all aspects, all areas of the industry. You know? Yeah. And on the consumption side, I mean, yeah, that's we need to stop hoarding. Yeah. I'm a I'm a victim of this too. Right now in my freezer, I have 300 dumplings. <laughs> I buy a lot of dumplings because I know they're going to run out, and I got to go to chi uh, Chinatown in, in Sunset Park, right, Brooklyn, to uh, to get them, the ones yeah. that I want. Yeah. And I just I buy bags of them, and I know I'm going to have like 10 a night. Toilet paper not necessary, but dumplings. I cannot run. I cannot be at risk of running out of dumplings. That's hilarious. Frightening. If I came back from a trip and I and I'm like you know late night food, I'll steam them in the in the wooden. Yeah, we have the exact same thing. thing. Yeah, I'll steam them in there. If I don't, if I, what am I going to eat? Right. A bowl of cereal. I I'm could. not a huge dumpling person, but my wife is half Japanese. My middle daughter is studying Korean at school. We eat more dumplings. They have this stovetop bamboo steamer that you're talking mm -hmm. about. We've got uh, uh, Instapot. We've got a number of things. 
They of every flavor of everything, and they can't just go to the regular store. They, we've got to go. We've got a number here in Atlanta of uh, stores that specialize in this kind of cuisine, Asian mm-hmm. cuisine from various, even more specific Vietnamese or Korean or Chinese or Japanese or whatever. And, um, you know, maybe New York could learn something from the amount of diversity we have here in Atlanta and our Asian markets. But it's, um, yeah, isn't it funny? We all have our sins, right? That's why we come together as a group to help round the edge of, uh, off ourselves so that we can uh, have a better group. Maybe yeah. we should end there. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I just feel, yeah, feel lucky to be able to learn from people. And, and uh, it's a fun conversation. Yeah, it was a great conversation. <laughs> It was a great conversation. Adam, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll see you in a few in weeks. In California. Yeah, I'm California in the big chair. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. We'll see everybody on the next QTS experience. Take care.